Greetings, and good afternoon, everyone. This is Cheryl, and I'm so pleased to be here to welcome you to Tara and Rama's Saturday afternoon program, The True Planetary and Galactic History Herstory, and True History Herstory of Nasara. Blessed be on this full moon day. Happy full moon, everyone. Happy solstice, and a very blessed and wondrous Christmas to all of you. Let us begin by going into our heart center at this time. As we go into our sacred heart, the portal to all that is, we call forth the full emergence with our soul, with our higher self, with our monad, with our mighty I am presence and all of our multidimensional being through to our God presence and Goddess presence. Beautiful regal colors of violet and gold enter our pillar of light. Coming directly from source and we feel our connection with the heart and mind of God. We anchor our pillar fully into the heart of Mother Gaia and receive her nurturing and support as well. We know that we are fully connected and that we are one with all life. And thus we recommit ourselves to being that bridge between heaven and earth, the anchor for the new golden age, and the open door that no one can shut. Let us affirm, I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with every man, woman, and child. I am one with the I am presence of every member of my family, all of my loved ones. I am one with every man, woman, and child. I am one with all that is. And with that oneness, we are able to include everyone in this work. So we invite in for one and all, all soul extensions, planetary and galactic, all of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage, our ancestral lineage, all the generations past and forward, our spiritual lineage, our soul family and soul pot. We welcome for one and all, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame, our ascension council and mission council, 
we welcome the assistance for this ascension work of all of the kingdoms. The plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the diva kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fairy kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature, the whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, and all magical kingdoms. We welcome all of the realms of the angels, from the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim, and all angelic healing teams. We welcome the Ascended Masters, the Brotherhood of Light, the Sisterhood of the Rays and Rose, the Order of Melchizedek, the Radiant Ones, all of the Enlightened Masters, all of the Divine Mother Emissaries and Divine Father Emissaries, all of the Planetary and Cosmic Hierarchy of Light, and all Ascended Master Healing Teams. We call forth at this time our precious friends from the Galactic Federation of Light and their healing teams, especially from those that we work with on a regular basis. We work most closely with, we welcome the healing teams from Arcturus, from Pleiades, from Sirius, from Andromeda, from Chiron, and from Venus. And we welcome all cosmic, galactic, universal healers that can be of service. We welcome the assistance of the entire company of heaven, asking that Mother, Father, God, overlight all that we do and magnify, magnify, magnify this in divine order for our being. Magnify it 10 billion times, 10 billion fold, if that is indeed in alignment with divine will and divine law. And thus we call in all of the rays, all of the flames, all of the universal laws and ascension waves. And with every energy and frequency, every prayer and evocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation, we ask to receive this through every cell, chakra, meridian, and layer of our orc field multidimensionally and on a conscious, subconscious, and superconscious level in divine order for each being. As we call on the highest of ascension frequencies for both personal and planetary ascension, collective ascension, as well as on a cosmic level, we give thanks for this opportunity to serve and bring in heaven on earth. And we ask that Gaia receive all that we receive into it, every chakra meridian layer of her orc field multidimensionally, through every ley line and song line, through every part of the grid system, the love grids, the light grids, the unity grids, all of the multidimensional grid systems, and through every portal and vortex and monument and sacred site, every place of power, every stargate, every city of light. As we continue up this amazing spiral of evolution, along with Mother Gaia, especially at this most sacred and holy time, going up that spiral of of evolution as Gaia takes her rightful place as Freedom Star. 
And so we proceed by calling in the light of illumination. So this would represent the yellow golden ray. And all, we call in all of the beings that work with the ray of illumination and divine wisdom, enlightenment. And we feel that golden light of divine wisdom and divine understanding, illumination and enlightenment entering around us, entering around the planet and all upon her, just lighting us up as we affirm from the realms of higher mind at one with all creation. I call forth a golden light of pure illumination. May it fill my every thought, this mighty living flame, uplifting me beyond all doubt, beyond the human game. Master teachers of the race of wisdom and of love, shine your light upon me now. Please bless me from above. Light of wisdom, come to me, a blazing cosmic surge. Penetrate into my mind, let inner peace emerge. Beloved presence of all life, I wish now to expand, to see with eyes of perfect love. Please grant me this demand. Activate within my being the power to discern, to know the holy truth of one. For this, I deeply yearn. The source of all enlightenment, please lift the veil of time. Awaken every human soul. Illuminate all minds. Bless life on earth with joy and peace. Bring balance to the scale. Keep blazing universal light. Let wisdom now prevail. Please affirm with me. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Take a nice deep breath as we call in this frequency in the highest crystalline diamond light form that we can receive. And we call in the golden frequencies of Christ consciousness representing unconditional love, divine forgiveness, mercy, compassion, as well as the frequency of eternal peace and infinite abundance for all life. We're going to call in the platinum as well to fill us and surround us, every man, woman, and child, filling the earth and all upon her. As it fills our being, it fills one and all with the light of unity consciousness. I call forth a mighty ray of brilliant platinum light to bathe me in its frequency and unifying might. Let this cosmic fire now blaze all throughout my mind expanding wide my inner sight. I am no longer blind. 
Help me now to truly heal the wounds that hide my core. Unify all streams of thought, bringing wholeness to the fore. Beloved source of everything, please charge the sacred fire through every vestige of myself so union can aspire. Eliminate the path I walk with light of pure white gold. Help me cause this flame to spread. May all life it now unfold. Through the grace of unity, may all be blessed as one, bringing forth a golden age, the greater will be done. And let us all affirm, we are one. We are one. We are one. And so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. And so, my friends, we're going to take this even higher, higher in frequency, as we ask to enter the golden chamber of Melchizedek. We call in all of the energies of the Christ, the highest golden frequencies that we can receive individually and collectively. And we call forth all of the planetary and cosmic hierarchy of light, all the magnificent beings that we have called forth to assist us with this work. And so we call in individually and collectively a planetary and cosmic axiotonal alignment. Take a nice deep breath as this activates each person's ascension, balancing the light body. And we call forth to the seven kohans, as well as draw cool, Lord Maitreya, Lord Buddha, to provide a gigantic Merkaba as we ask to be taken spiritually to the golden chamber of Melchizedek, kind of joining into that Merkaba from our own Merkaba, as we ask for everyone to join us, experiencing the golden chamber of Melchizedek in the universal core. We call forth each person's soul extensions from their monad and mighty I am presence, so 144 soul extensions on a planetary level. We call forth all of our galactic soul extensions as well to partake of this. We call forth again to the seven kohans for the opening of all of our chakras, all ascension chakras, and all the petals and facets of all of our chakras including all higher dimensional chakras. We call forth to Archangel Metatron, 
for permanent anchoring and activation of the microtron. We call forth to the Lord of Sirius for the anchoring and activation of the scrolls of wisdom and knowledge appropriate for each one of us from the Great White Lodge on Sirius. We ask to be reconnected, connected fully to the cosmic initiation that we can receive as we ask for the highest acceleration and magnification of our ascension activations, always in divine order. Through each person's mighty I am presence, we ask for this in divine order. We call now to Sanat Kamara, the Wamas and Lindus, for assistance in establishing each person's planetary and cosmic antakrana that connects each person's oversoul and monad to God. We call forth now to Lord Melchizedek, Mahatma, Metatron, the Elohim Councils, and the Archangels for the permanent anchoring and activation of the planetary and cosmic tree of life. We request the complete opening and activation of the seven cosmic seals and the ten sephiroths, as well as the hidden sephiroth of Doth. We call forth at this time from the cosmic and planetary hierarchy of light, the anchoring and activation of all fire letters, key codes, and sacred geometries to assist in this process. We call forth to the archangels for the full anchoring and activation of our 50 chakras, taking us through planetary ascension, as well as our 330 chakras, taking us back to the Godhead. We call forth for the permanent anchoring and activation of our 12 bodies, including the solar, galactic, and universal bodies. We call forth to Melchizedek, the Mahatma, Metatron, Archangel Michael, and the Planetary Hierarchy for the anchoring and activation of the anointed Christ over self body, our Zohar body, our over self body, our electromagnetic body, our Gematrian body, our Eka body, our Epikinetic body, our higher Adam Kadmon body, and the Lord's mystical body is described in the keys of Enoch. We call forth the permanent anchoring and activation of the 64 keys of Enoch in all five sacred languages. We call forth the elimination of the 72 areas of the mind as described in the keys of Enoch. We call forth, at this time, the Decadelta light encodements and emanations from the 10 superscripts of the divine mind. We call forth to Metatron for the anchoring and activation of the 76 names of Metatron to permanently flow through us. We call for the removal of all veils of light and time. We call to Joel Kool, Lord Maitreya, and Lord Buddha for the permanent anchoring of the greater flame of the monad and mighty I am present into the lesser flame of the personality and soul incarnated on earth. We call forth now to the mighty archangels for the permanent anchoring and activation 
of the 12 heavenly houses and 12 cosmic stations. We call forward to Lord Buddha for the permanent anchoring and activation of the planetary sun and the planetary cosmic heart into the core of our being. We call forward to Helios and Vesta for the permanent anchoring and activation of the solar sun and solar cosmic heart into the core of our being. We call forth to Melchior for the permanent anchoring and activation of the galactic sun and galactic cosmic heart into the core of our being. We call forth to Melchizedek for the permanent anchoring and activation of the universal sun and universal cosmic heart into the core of our being. We call forth to the Mahatma and the multi-universal logos to permanently anchor and activate the multi-universal sun and multi-universal cosmic heart into the core of our being. Take a nice deep breath. We call forth now to the Godhead for the permanent anchoring and activation of the great central sun and God goddesses heart into the core of our being. We call to the source of our cosmic day and Lord Melchizedek for the anchoring of the 43 Christed universes. We call to Melchizedek to now initiate each person into the order of Melchizedek. We ask that each person who inwardly gives permission now receive from Melchizedek the rod of initiation with no earthly person needed as an intermediary in this process. We call forth to the planetary and cosmic hierarchy and collectively request a complete merger of the light bodies of all the interplane masters present with this group body, both individually and collectively. We call forth from God, Goddess, the Mahatma, Melchizedek, Metatron, the Elohim Councils, Archangel Michael, and all the other Archangels in Archive to anchor from the cosmic treasury of light the light packets of information from the tablets of creation, the Elohim scriptures, the Torah or the Ten Commandments, and the cosmic book of life. We call now to the planetary and cosmic hierarchy and to all of the interplane and ascended masters that accompany each person for a combined light shower, love shower, and power shower, the likes of which has never been seen before on this planet. Take a nice deep breath. We ask with this activation from the golden chamber of Melchizedek for Christ consciousness to be fully established in each individual as well as in the collective as we celebrate our Christ Mass the mass activation of the Christ consciousness for one and all. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Kadosh, 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 Adonai Sabaoth. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. 
we now call forth the interplane spiritual host to return us individually to our rooms, to our bodies, fully integrating all that we have received individually and collectively with the assistance of Archangel Sandalphon and Mother Gaia, calling forth to easily and effortlessly digest and assimilate, ground and anchor, integrate, and activate and embody all of these frequencies. Again, and fully come into our Christed being, our Christed consciousness for one and all. Anchoring heaven and earth as we do this, again, with the assistance of Gaia, with the assistance of Sandalphon, and do this with the greatest of ease and grace and joy, peace and bliss and ecstasy, serenity and tranquility, balance and equilibrium, in love, in light, and laughter. So infinite blessings to us all. Thank you, my friends. Thank you for being here on the planet at this time. Thank you for doing these acts of service. I invite you to join us for further service every Sunday and Monday for the Ascension Meditation and Activation Calls. The teleconference call would begin at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time, 5.45 p.m. Pacific Time. Now, at, five, at that time, we'd begin with greetings for about 25 minutes. Tar and Rama give us a brief update so that at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific Time, we begin our work in earnest of bringing heaven to earth with, through our meditations, our activations, our decrees and prayers. Please plan on joining us this full moon weekend, tomorrow and Monday. The main number is area code 425-436-6260. Again, it's area code 425-436-6260. The access code is 946-7441-POUND. 946-7441-POUND. So infinite blessings. To all of you, know that you can also join the call. We have other additional numbers. We have international numbers. We can you can we can get you the information to get the um, access by computer. So if you need that information, please contact me at Cheryl Croce at aol.com. That's C H E R Y L C R O C I at AOL.com. Just ask for the extra numbers. So thank you. I'm going to pass the talking stick at this time to my wonderful sister, Rainbird. Again, we thank her and Mama for their divine service. We're going to thank Rainbird for her divine service. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your divine service and infinite blessings. Have a magnificent Christmas. Have a very, very holy, wonderful week and um, before and after. And um, 
have a again have a great Christmas. Much love and gratitude to all of you. I pass a talking stick rainbird. It's got that magnificent violet and gold that we started with and every other color that we might need. Thank you, beloved. Thank you. I'll take that talking stick. And and a very, very merry Christmas holiday, holy season to you from all us. Cheryl, thank you so much for being here <laughs> and doing what you do. We are all so grateful to have you in our lives. So, thank you. And I'm here to do the housekeeping as we are a listener-supported radio program. It's each of us that makes it happen. Each week, we need $300 for our expenses with BBS Radio. And um, we're even. So that's what we need for this week is $300. So here's how we make it happen. We go into our heart space and see what it's ours to give. And then go to bbsradio.com and click on Radio Station 2. Or just scroll down that home page and you'll find the menu for Radio Station 2. Um, we're looking for our programs there on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So using Pacific Time, the 6 o'clock hour on Thursdays, a night at the round table with the panel. As you click on that icon, that'll take you directly to our account with CBS, and you can make a donation there in any amount. So thank you. And then also at the 6 o'clock hour on Fridays, the hard news program with Tara and Rama on Friday night. And uh, it's the same deal at 6 o'clock. You click on that icon there. And then on Saturday, the icon is in the time slot is 1.30 for the True History University and the Sarah and Galactic Origins with Tara and Rama. And you can click on that icon there and make a donation at that spot. Anyway, it's perfect. We're grateful. We're grateful for your contributions and your generosity and paying it forward like that. So, lots of gratitude. And then also, we're assisting Tara Rama with their needs. And their needs are pretty light this week. <laughs> they have three bills coming up and they need $300 to cover them. And um, they need $200 to cover their, their living expenses. Gas and food and da 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 da. You know how that goes. So there you go. That's five hundred altogether. So here's how we make a contribution to Tara and Rama. You want to access Rama's PayPal account, and you do that by going to the website. And that address is rainbowroundtable.net. And there on the home page, if you click on the menu grid, you'll see that window drop down at the end is the donate link. You can click on that. That links you to Rama's PayPal account. And there, using your bank card, you can make a donation in any amount. So that's good. It's a good way. And as you have your own PayPal account, you just need to enter Rama's email at PayPal, and that'll take you to the friends option. So that email address for Rama at PayPal is Coran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999 at hotmail.com. So either way is perfect, and we're so grateful for your contributions to Tara and Rama. And we're also very grateful for Tara and Rama. We wish them many holiday blessings. 
So uh, let's see. What else you need to do is that as you send something to Taran Rama, you need to let him know. Rama, and his uh, email address is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999 at Comcast.net. So let him know what you sent and when you sent it. And then also there's um, a mailing address, and I'll give you that. It's Ram D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z. Post Office Box 280-280, and that is in Santa Cruz, New Mexico. And the zip code in Santa Cruz, New Mexico is 87567. So there you have it, all the information. So thank you for your contributions, and I also want to give you the uh, Rainbow Roundtable address for the Shop Free Mart as you wish to go there and and look around and see what they have to offer and you would you would join from there and the, to create your own account and there are no obligations as far as you know monthly things or anything like that in this thing it's just a registration you do and there's lots of opportunities for abundance and Thing to work with and really good environmental and nutritional supplements that are outstanding. So it's worth a look see for all that. So here's the address https colon forward slash forward slash www.shopfreemart.com forward slash T A R R A N. And that will, as you enter it, will take you directly to the Rainbow Roundtable account. Uh, and it's count number 7,000, so you know you're in the right place, and it's blessed by St. Germain. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you for your participation with that as well. And I'm passing this talking stick, but first I want to say 13 thank yous, honey in the heart, long life, no evil, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and a splendid rapture is solstice on Tuesday. So here we go. Tara this talking stick has the violet and gold rays and all the other rays that we need to sign are on it. And it's covered up in Christmas lights and all kinds of Christmas music. And it's got lots of elves and fairies and menahunies and hobbits. And uh, here it comes. Greetings, Tara and Rama. Here comes the talking stick. Greetings. Greetings. <laughs> Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Rainbird. Thank you, everyone, for yes, being I, here. We are I hope you're enjoying so your, grateful. your dinner, Cheryl. <laughs> Thank you for checking in with us and sharing. Um, and Rainbird, yay. What do you think? You think we're... On, uh, I mean, from the Mayan perspective, calendar perspective, what do you think? We are in an awesome time. We're in all these days with that are portal days, and we've got all this holy days going on. We can do anything we want. We've got the heaven at our back. <laughs> okay, we're going to play something exciting, too, because... Um, 
Well, let's see. I think which one are we going to do first? We're going to do uh, Joni first. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to do Joni. Joni Patrie. And she's going to give insight from the Ayurvedic astrology to us. And I got to listen to it because uh, our sister Sonia shared it with me over the phone. I got to hear it. Not perfectly, but wow, it's really good. And uh, I mean, there's all these different types of uh, divina- divinating. Is that the term? Mayan resonance, heart resonance, divinating, uh, Western, tropical, divinating, uh, Ayurvedic, uh, which is very similar to Ophiuchian, Ophiuchian divinating in the astrology. They are pretty much side by side, those two. And, uh, and they augment quite a bit of what the Western tendencies might be. You might, the, the Western tendencies go, wonderful. And then they go, and how do we implement it? There's a lot of action going on, but the majority of the action has been in the favor of something that's going in the wrong direction. We might say. And, uh, and then I was talking with Rama earlier today. This is for everybody. And Rainbird, you jump in if you have something to say. But, uh, you know, 20 years ago, uh, the King of Swords told Rama that it was going to happen all at once or nothing at all. And, uh, he also said that, um, The first four countries that will receive their blessings will be the United States, Canada, the UK, and Australia. I thought it was New Zealand, but New Zealand would probably be the next one right behind that. Uh, And then the rest of the countries. And the first question I had is, how come you're giving it to all these first world countries first? And the answer was because... These first four countries and those of us who chose to be in them are going to have more responsibility than any of the other countries for rectifying the situation because that's what the purpose of the whole story is, is to bring a balance of equality and prosperity and remedies. And the thing that... Uh, Joni Patry is talking about in terms of the timeline. She's looking more like to March for the remedies to really be available astrologically. Now, um, to go back to this, you know, first four countries getting their money, there might be some quiet distribution. You know, it could be quite a bit sooner than March. I mean, they keep on telling Rama to keep his phone off and uh, yeah, on, I mean, just... and, and where we can meet and all that stuff. And you're sitting there, okay. <laughs> and we can't ask when, right? No dates. Right. And then when I get a beeping on my phone and I go and grab Tara and the Passats and take a journey, um, oh, my <laughs> yeah, but they won't tell you when, but no. they keep on telling us every single time. They keep on telling us something that's like so immediate. Yeah. 
And so I am just going to say, too, that uh, Max Kaiser and Stacey Herbert are just plain old saying, and and it was on the last half hour that was on at uh, 3.30 this morning, I listened to that, and um, Stacy and Max and and his guests, I mean, his guests said it plain and simple, you know, the uh, the dollars collapsed, and they're just covering everything up, and it's dog, and everybody's in La La Land, and I'm, so I'm going to go back to the Ayurvedic. The Ayurvedic is, like we said, aligned with the Ophiuchian astrology. Saint Germain is Ophiuchus in this case, and uh, in every case. Saint Germain's in charge of getting the Sara law enacted. Yes, this is the New Atlantis that's been talked about for centuries. So again, those of us who chose to be here and wake up, we have more knowledge and more experience of how the new Atlantis is being implemented in our daily lives together. Yeah, it is about the goddess taking the forefront, taking the gauntlet. Then we go back to Pat, uh, Joni Patry because she said uh, coming into here December, January, starting with the 15th of December, which is already passed. She says starting with that date and going all the way through into she kind of intimates that between January and February, we will have a female president. She doesn't say it in that way that I'm saying it. I'm just saying that uh, there will be a shift of power. And I was just watching the news today, and uh, Kamala Harris was in the news because this uh, character, what's this, Charlemagne Thagod or something? Is that how you say his name? T-H-A. Charlemagne was a king in No, this France. is a person that's right on the news. He's a, And he was interviewing Kamala today. Oh, I don't know these people. No. No, that's his name, though. Oh, yeah. Quite a <laughs> quite a name. Somebody gave him that name. Uh, well. <laughs> and, um... Hmm. Anyway, he was asking her a very poignant question. And what he was asking her, she said, what's, uh, who's the real president, Joe Biden or Joe Manchin? And she got mad. (laughs) And she said, Charlemagne. And it is about... No, no, and no. I'll just say... And she said, Joe Biden's the president, and my name is Kamala Harris, and I'm the vice president. Now, I'll just say two words that Dr. Greer (laughs) talks about. Oil and gas have to be gone from how we get around on the planet. Who said that? Dr. Greer. Oil and gas. Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah. And, and that's why the old paradigm has to go away because that's we do not have a country yet. Let's get that really clear. All that's running this world is 
something called empire, which is a corporation. There are no countries in the negative sense with the empire. Yeah. In the positive sense where John Lennon sings his song and says there's, imagine there are no countries. He's talking in the positive sense where there's no separation and we're living divine government on earth as it is in heaven. And that's a really important distinction. And that's why Ra, who does not have a gag order, can bring news from the faction Three White Knights. And this is important, too, where, you know, some people will think we've been smoking too much and saying too much. Yet the King of Swords in this incarnation voluntarily took on to come in to... Uh, in his life, demonstrate the seventh initiation and incarnation of the teachings of Sananda Kumara on the planet. And now what that means is that in succession, Yeshu, and that's the real, there were no J's in the ancient uh, Aramaic language which he spoke. And so there were only Y's in place of J's. So his name was spelled Y E and no H Y E S as in Sam U. That was the way his name was spelled, and it was called. You said it Yeshu and no A either. Yeshu Y E S U. That's why I keep on saying that. It's the same thing with uh, other Aramaic uh, language uh, terms and. The Aramaic language is connected with the resonance of the heart like the Mayan calendar is. You might say that's why he's talking in the New Testament. You know, and so uh, the Old Testament is just like the old paradigm and the old empire. They're doing stuff that, uh, oh, let's go back to Rome. Oh, yeah. Julius Caesar. Oh, that's right. Yeshua was condemned to death. Abraham. Abraham was a dirty bird. Yeah. Um, until he had a little experience, got an intervention, uh, and God said, go get your son Isaac and sacrifice him on the altar. You know, I want him. Abraham was half Sumerian and half E.T., let's say. Yeah. Uh, Magdalene was Sumerian, too. Yeah. And Mary was... No, not Magdalene. Mary was Sumerian. Yeah, Syrian. Syrian, but at that time... Uh, Assyria. Assyria. Yeah, that's Sumerian territory. Yeah. If you will. Different names at different times, but it's all Sumerian territory still into this present day. So we got to know our history both in terms of past, present, and as Rama gets to talk to this lovely lady called Ranamu, who has been uh, in our lives, when did you first meet Rana Moon, Rama? I don't remember. It's been that long. Well, you met her before you met me, right? Mm, did you? No. 
No. I met her after I met you. When? I met Ronamu. I mean, the first person you met was the King of Swords. Yeah. And that was in 1980, right? Yes. Okay, so relative to that point in time, did you meet Ronamu through the King of Swords? I met Ronamu somewhere between 2010. Oh, that's really way down into the future. Yeah, oh. and 2010 and now. Right oh, there. you knew there at least for that long. I can't remember, so... Well, you were definitely talking about Rana Moo, even on the air on 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 on, okay. on uh, BBS Radio, Rama, and we were on BBS Radio from the 10th of December, 2009. So you've known Rana Moo at least since then. But what I, my point is, is that she represents the future. She came from 175 million years into the future, and she voluntarily um, volunteered to come back into a human body through a mother and a father uh, uh, back in time and grow up. And how how old is she in that body right now, Ronamu? I don't really know. Well, I mean, just look on her countenance. What do you, what I would you? say between 50 and 60, and she is much... So she's younger than you. Much older than that. No, no, I don't mean in terms of her spiritual awareness. I mean in the physical body. Okay. It's all gone. It's all gone, Rama. It's only the other phones. Okay. So continue. Uh. <laughs> so what we're talking about now is that there has to be a big reason for all of these beings from all of these different time-space continuums showing up while we're here and we're just sitting here and going, well, what's going on here? And uh, we've got somebody from 175 million years into the future showing up now. We have the Vatican still hanging on as the ancient Roman Empire and we're not, who, who, who literally condemned Yeshu, the sixth incarnation of Sananda Kumara's teachings on the planet. He took that embodiment. Uh, I just remember too that there's, we've got Lady Nada and in this, she's the seventh initiation and incarnation of the teachings of Lady Master Nada and her mother and father named her Nada. And she actually is that being in terms of the one we call Lady Master Nada uh, coming in. And she's been working with the United Nations. And she is a special lawyer of the International Court of Justice. She didn't go to school and study law. She went to the school of the teachings. And she went to the school of being a faction three white knights and you think you want to learn something and you be a, you make a commitment to that, 
that's the whole whole enchilada right now. Yes. Okay, so what do you want to say about your update for today? Should I read it? Um, oh, I got to hear on Counterspan, they tore into Mr. Louis DeJoy, the, uh, the, Dictator of the post office, <laughs> who has screwed up. He was up. appointed the head of the post office by Donald Trump. Yeah, and Mr. DeJoy, the Justice Department, is investigating him because he has links to Jeffrey Epstein and Miss Maxwell, where he has done uh, private investments connected to Northrop Grumman and DARPA, and those private investments are sealed or they're classified. And this has That's to, because they're part of the CIA, right? They're part of the CIA. This story goes a lot deeper than just, you know, crazy right-wing politicians. It is about the deep, Black budget, unacknowledged, as Dr. Greer calls it. When you play around with DARPA and Northrop Grumman and the Skunk Works, Lockheed Martin, and these men in black, this is where, um, the, let's just say you call in Lord Michael and you activate that lightsaber and... That's as far as I can go. <laughs> I think you told me that he, um, Louis Dujoy, donated $40 million in an investment. Yes. Uh, to benefit Jeffrey Epstein's project along with Ghislaine Maxwell's. Uh, uh, in other words, uh, to fund uh, having sex with young girls and young boys, too. Yes. And an exponential amount of... Jeffrey Epstein was fanatically connected with the story about transhumanism. And this ties in with Elon Musk and this virus that is connected to the AI. And this is, gets creepier by the second. So I'll leave it there. Okay, so... In terms of you just brought up Elon Musk, he's the he's you know they're saying he's a trillionaire, but he's a multi-trillionaire. And they're playing around with the idea he might be the uh, so-called antichrist that shows up to try to play political games on the planet with you know lots of money. And uh, he hasn't done that yet. He hasn't done that yet. Yet and I don't. I don't trust him. I don't trust Netanyahu and Blaze of Violet Fire. That's well, what we, I got to say. Well, what we know is that he is the one that created these microchips that were inserted into Ivanka's brain and to, into Jared Kushner's brain. Yes. And these people are part human as of that insertion and part artificial intelligence. Yeah. And, uh, and this is pretty trippy. In other words, how many people are going to think we are just still smoking a whole lot too much? 
saying things like this. This has been going on for a long time. And I know that you said that for a good 20 years, uh, Jeffrey Epstein has been using this microchip technology of Elon Musk to implant into young girls that he impregnates. And then when the babies are born, he impre- he, he has the chips implanted into the baby's brains. So we're creating... Creating a Borg race. It's over, actually, overlapping, you know, I might say three generations of babies that have already, some of them are already 20, 30, 40 years old, and they're walking around with, just like Ivanka. How old is Ivanka? Don't know. I don't. She's old enough to know better, yet she's part of the Matrix. (laughs) Okay. So what we're doing now is we're going to give an interventive readout and we're going to pass a talking stick to Joni Patri. She's going to give the Ayurvedic astrology. And what's what's it called, Rama? What's it called? Full Moon in Gemini, December 18th, Shocking Awakenings. This is, you know, like Ben Stewart talks about is the AI as you know there is the amino acid computers that's what this is we are and they have taken it to the level of the dark side and it's called abominations of desolation enough said channel. Well, today I want to talk about the full moon that is happening in December. On December 18th, the full moon will be at three degrees of Gemini. Now, always remember I'm talking about the sidereal Vedic horoscope, not the Western tropical. So here we're going to have the moon in Gemini, three degrees, which actually sits in the nakshatra Murugashira. Murugashira is the nakshatra that deals the most with searching, finding answers, getting to the core and the bottom of things. But it's always about a hunt. And there's something that's going on involving a big hunt. And during this time, remember, this is right following this solar eclipse that happened December 4th. So this is the full moon. It's not quite with Rahu and Ketu. Therefore, it is not a lunar eclipse. We already had that in November. But this one sheds light on what's happening with the solar eclipse that just occurred. That's starting to uncover all that has been hidden that has been destroying our world and society. Things are cropping up and coming to a realization at this time. Full moons bring things to light. 
Remember, they light up the darkness of the dark night sky. But I wanted to make reference of what this full moon, where it is in terms of the fixed stars. So there's a fixed star called Bellatrix that this particular point is crossing over. And this represents the female warrior. I find that fascinating. And it also deals with military honors and a female warrior. Now, looking at where I see all of these things headed throughout this incredibly intense month with all this energy happening in Taurus, Scorpio, and now Gemini and Sagittarius, the full moon where the sun is opposite will be at three degrees of Sagittarius, which actually sits in the nakshatra that's called Mula, ruled by the goddess of destruction, Nariti. Nariti means destruction. So there is so much that has to surface to be destroyed in order for this major transformation to happen. And when I think about a female warrior, a female comes the commercial. Perfect timing. Happy birthday, Dot and Duck. You're right here, right now with this astrology. A female, this means a female is going to take charge. And I actually think that this could be the indications of in the United States, for one place on the globe, where a male might have to surrender to a female to take the lead. Yes, it's exactly what you think I'm talking about. (laughs) So I will leave that there because... This will be the month that you're going to see it all happening, okay? And in January, February, this is where the ball starts to roll, but you'll see where it all comes to pass here by January and February, a new leadership, female leadership in the United States. So another thing I want to talk about with this new moon is the fact that during this time, just a few days prior, around the 15th of December, Mars will be with K2, the south node of the moon, which represents losses. And it represents a major big loss that is transpiring at this point in time. You will see This is how it's going to pan out. And there's going to be so much that comes out that's going to be shocking to the world. Absolutely, this is the grand finale this entire month. One thing after another is occurring. Now, Jupiter is coming together with Neptune. And Neptune is the planet. That deals with deception, deceit, and denial. By the time of next April, when Jupiter and Neptune come together, it will be clear as to how much the world has been lied to. 
But the fact of the matter is we can't still keep looking back. We've got to look forward and figure out what we're going to do from this day on. And this full moon brings it all to light where we will know what is going on. And we'll make plans accordingly. Because you know, so many things are falling apart. The economy, the virus, the stock market, it's all coming to a big culmination point. People are fed up. They're not putting up with their lives being destroyed, put on hold, businesses failing, money just disappearing, dissolving. It's all got to change because there is a better way. And it's not anything that we've been seeing. It is not what people think it is. Everyone thinks they have the answer. They go with one political way of thinking versus the other. They make everything into politics, don't they? And that's not even what it's about. It's really and truly about the media's corruption that they're putting out there, brainwashing everyone to make you so confused you don't know what's going on. Now, once we know who's at the bottom of this, this is where things can be curtailed and things will start to clear. Now, a lot of people may not like what what happens because it means they're going to have to wake up to the way they thought was wrong. But that's okay. Really and truly, don't you just want the truth? Or are you afraid of the truth? I think in many cases, a lot of people would say they're afraid to know the truth. So like ostriches, they stick their head in the sand. But now, it's the cat's out of the bag. What are we going to do? We're going to change and the world will become a better place because of it. This full moon brings to light so many things. And even the moon being in the sign of Gemini speaks volumes since Gemini is the sign of communications and the media. It means the truth comes to light. How powerful is that? It is time that we all join hands together and realize we all want the same thing. Everyone wants to be happy. People do not want all this separation, contention. It is about unity and togetherness. And when we do, when we come together, there will be no more fear and there will be no more disease. And I predict that by the time of March, things will start to change. I'm not going to say it's over with in March, but there's going to be remedies that we can see the light at the end of the day, where we're headed, and that we do have a future. That's the most important thing. So we're going to see that after the solar eclipse comes a full moon that sheds light on everything that we have been disillusioned about. And things on the political arena around the world are going to change. And I have to say, there is a lot that a certain country is responsible for. Yes, I can't say some of these words because then you get censored. But 
This is what I'm trying to say. There's a country that has a very intense karma. And the law of karma is nothing more than the law of cause and effect. What you put out there, you get back. And this is what's about to come down. But let me say this too. I want you to realize what you put out there, you get back. This is simply the law of karma, the law of cause and effect. Realize that what you're putting out, you're going to get back. So if you find that people are always angry with you, or you see so much anger, if you see so much hate, take a look at yourself. Because that's where it's coming from. It just comes back like... <laughs> like a commercial. <laughs> yeah. Swish this sour liquid in your mouth before bed to regrow your teeth and gums before you sleep and never need a dentist again. What? Scientists at the National Institute of Dental... I hope you saw that one. I did. Okay, then write it down. What is it called? I need it. Like a boomerang. So... We've got to be more cognizant of who we are, what we're doing, what we say. Be a fly on the wall and watch what comes out of your mouth and how you treat people. When you realize where it's all coming from, all you have to do is change. Nobody wants that. Everyone wants to be happy and have kindness and love abounding in their life. Put it out there, you'll get it back. So we're going to see the truth or consequences. We're going to see the consequences of everything that's been happening. Don't worry. Don't worry if you feel like people aren't getting justice. They will. That's all you have to know. Move on and take heed. Realize what you need to do to make your life work, plan for the future, and you're going to have a much better, fruitful life regardless of what's happening in the world. Because life goes on and there is joy and happiness even in this time that seems so dark. So go with it. Because remember, the full moon is the light. It's bringing light to our world. Take it, receive it, and know your life is going to change for the better. Ask that. May the best thing for my highest good come into my life now, and it will. So with that, I'd like to close. If you would like to learn Vedic astrology, don't forget, I have a university The new start date is January 10th. Get ready. You can be part of our community. Talk with me every week. And with that, we are going to really change your life because you can become an astrologer just like me. And don't forget, if you want my free newsletter, go to my website, galacticcenter.org, where you can get all of my predictions delivered to your email. And while you're there, please check out my new spiritual jewelry that gives us remembrances of who we are and why we're here on planet Earth, all on galacticcenter.org. Thank you.
Yeah, she's got her own mala beads. That's great. Mm-hmm. And what I like about her is she's got this really poofy, bouffant hairdo. She's from Texas. She reminds us of a friend of ours who's from Texas, too. She yeah, lives very Santa outspoken. Canada. And very wise. Very wise. One of the uh, spiritual leaders here in Santa Fe. Absolutely. So um, what I'm saying is that she came in, volunteered to come in, in a Texan situation with poofy bouffant hairstyle, beautiful green eyes. And, you know, that image is able to reach people. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... What are we going to do next? What about, are we going to do the meditation next with uh, the Lemurian meditation? Or are we going to do this one? Or should I, maybe I should play Tariq Ali. Play Tariq Ali because that's the current news. Yes, this is from Going Underground. Uh, I will play that. Because uh, uh, after listening to our sister Joni, we can apply that knowledge to what he is laying down as what must be corrected in the course. Yeah, the news that Fox and friends are not going to tell you at all. Yeah, right. They would run screaming saying, the devil's in the room. <laughs> okay, I guess I think we're ready. Sir Harry Belafonte has always been what. Never mind. No. Yeah. How would you explain to Christopher uh, Ray? Oh, no, no, that's not right. 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 Okay, let me just, just back up the truck here. <laughs> Al Sharpton's talking about Harry Belafonte. I hope he's alive. Mm. Yikes. Well, I'll check that later. But uh, let's see. Who's that? I think the people should be thinking genocide. Here we go. Now, I'm actually referring to you're watching Going Underground 70 years since the U.S. Civil Rights Congress presented the We Charge Genocide paper accusing the United States government of mass killing to the United Nations. Coming up on the show, a chronicle foretold 24 hours ahead of an urgent organization of Islamic cooperation meeting in Pakistan on Afghanistan. We ask legendary author and activist Tariq Ali if, despite NATO nation media hysteria, NATO defeat in the so-called graveyard of empires can actually foretell a brighter future. And 45 years to the day, Legendary Native American activist Leonard Peltier woke up in the U.S. after being extradited from Canada. We speak to his lawyer who has fought for justice with Kim Kardashian about the legacy of Cointel Pro and if anything can sway President Biden to release the man known as the USA's longest serving political prisoner. All this more coming up in today's Going Underground, but first the British press is focused on an Afghanistan whistleblower who has revealed details of the UK's arguably disastrous withdrawal from the country, but with establishment journalists have been caught less often. 
God in the first place. He then spent more time focusing on the revelations publicized by the world's most famous journalist, Julian Assange, currently facing a trial in London with the future of free speech itself hanging in the balance. One man who has been a champion of the WikiLeaks founder and a vital and pressing voice on Afghanistan is the author and activist Tarek Ali. His new book, The 40-Year War in Afghanistan, a chronicle foretold, is out now. And he joins me from London. Thank you so much, Tarek, for uh, coming uh, back on. I mean, a lot of people say that the Julian Assange trial is about free speech. If you read your book, and I know you, you name-check him in here, you might think it's not really about free speech. It's about a slow-motion assassination, given that most journalists ignored the kinds of things you were writing over the past decade or more about why British troops would die for nothing in Afghanistan. A lot of my critique of the Afghanistan war, including a debate with a Blairite government minister at the Foreign Office, which is in the book, these were all published to the Guardian. And as we were putting the book together, a number of people said it is amazing the Guardian used to publish all this stuff. And I was myself surprised, but that was under Alan Rusbridger, and you can make criticisms of him, of course. But I do feel now thinking about it long term that he was probably the most objective editor the Guardian has had certainly since the Second World War. If you compare that to the Guardian today, quite honestly, there's a, a, a huge, huge difference. And it's ironic that the left in the Guardian, what was left of them, voted as fine in his edit. Well, people can watch our interview with Alan Rusbridger. Uh, um, he actually fired me uh, many years ago. We did. No, I know. I, I'm aware of all <laughs> of course. I'm just saying it's relevant. But do you think, Tarek, that I mean, the reason why most journalists have not been more obsessed by the Assange case, which clearly across the global south and uh, and increasingly. Uh, many people in NATO countries are more and more concerned about his, uh, the allegations of his torture and his continuing incarceration. More journalists aren't bothered because they wouldn't use the freedom of the press that they were given in any case when it comes to wars like Afghanistan. It's absolutely true. Afghanistan was designated as the good war by the Western governments and their journalistic appendages. Uh, and so that's how they, they covered it. You know, the stories which made it were not the stories revealed by uh, Julian Assange and WikiLeaks in 2010. The Afghan papers published by uh, WikiLeaks showed that the war was just completely unwinnable. And uh, it was useful for other things, uh, for, you know, using Afghanistan as a base to clean uh, filthy money, for uh, increasing the drug trade. But it had nothing to do with freedom or democracy or women's liberation or anything like that, as we now discover after the 20-year occupation collapsed in seven days. I mean, that showed it didn't even have mass support, which they always used to complain. Oh, the people of Afghanistan are happy. Well, if they were so happy, why did the puppet army of 300,000 Afghans collapse within a week, refuse to fight the Taliban? 
So it's it's uh, it's been a disaster story, and I've been writing about it uh, for you know forty years. Was the the American occupation and the NATO occupation, so-called Operation Enduring Freedom, uh, endured for twenty years. Prior to that, there was a Soviet occupation from 19, December 1979, and in between the two, there was fierce faction fighting between the Islamic factions which destroyed Kabul. Kabul was not destroyed by the Russians. Kabul was bombed and destroyed, or large chunks of it, by different factions who had fought with the U.S. against the Russians, fighting each other. And it's at that point that the Pakistani inter-services intelligence and i.e. the Pakistani military uh, you know, set up the Taliban and uh, propelled them into power with the complete backing of the United States, the uh, its agencies, its State Department, Pentagon, etc., the White House. You slam, you slam Moscow's uh, occupation of, of Afghanistan, but also draw uh, us to the idea that actually... Uh, what we think about U.S. funding that would lead to 9-11 happened before the Russian invasion of Afghanistan. Jimmy Carter set in train the events that would lead up to 9-11. Absolutely right. Uh, basically, what happened in Afghanistan is in 1978, the Shah of Iran put pressure on the government, the Republican government in Afghanistan led by Mahmoud Daoud and said there are too many commies in your army and air force. The CIA provided the Shah with lists. These were handed over to Daoud and he was told, act on it. When this news was leaked inside the Afghan army and air force, officers belonging to the two factions of the People's Democratic Party of Afghanistan met and they organized what we could, I suppose, describe as a preemptive coup. And that preemptive coup in April 1978 was portrayed as a revolution. They tried to make it into a revolution, but they miscalculated on a number of things. Um, and they had promised that now Afghanistan would be democratic in every sense of the word. Well, if that was the case, and you were really going to do that, which would have been a huge step forward, the first thing you needed to do was to convoke constituent assembly and decide on a new constitution. Because the last constitution, serious constitution, uh, in Afghanistan in 19... Uh, prepared in 1918, 1919, by King Amanullah, uh, was a pretty decent uh, constitution, to be uh, honest, and his wife, Queen Saraya, uh, had put into it the right of women to vote. So had that constitution been carried through, Afghanistan would have been the first country to give women the right to vote, all women, before Britain, before the United States, before any European country. So that regime was toppled by the British. So the first government to come in since the Mandela with progressive aims and pretensions was the PDPA government after the coup. They led this preemptive coup in 78. 
had they revived that constitution, improved it, summoned a constituent assembly, campaigned for elections, who knows, they might have won. I don't know whether they would have. But not doing that and effectively operating uh, in a very undemocratic way antagonized uh, ordinary people, including in Kabul, the countryside, certainly. And that is when Carter and his national security advisor, he said we're preparing a bear trap. And they started arming groups in Afghanistan to up the stakes, and that is when they hired Bin Laden. Now, the British uh, journalists and American journalists can be forgiven for not understanding the slightest uh, uh, idea about Afghan history and how Britain destroyed women's rights. Uh, there are obviously people in the Biden cabinet and around uh, Biden's people, maybe people here, going, women's rights, women's rights. Um, you say in the book, uh, just bringing up uh, this a bit forward, uh, that rape, widespread rape, uh, indiscriminate civilian killing, uh, child killing, this accompanied the ISAF occupation of Afghanistan. Yeah, it did. And, you know, they have not provided any figures on rape. When I made this allegation in public on television, radio, and writing, they denied. They asked me for my proof. Well, where's your proof? I see the proof is reports coming out of Afghanistan from women's organizations, some of which, one in particular, is not keen on the occupation. And they've told me that actually rape went down during the Taliban period, and it is now up again because the Northern Alliance, um, with whom the West was in cahoots, uh, were no better, marginally even worse on this question than the Taliban. So um, their allies carried on. The other question I raised uh, is, could you give us statistics on the number of brothels that have been set up in Afghanistan to accommodate the NATO armies and help Operation Enduring Freedom. I mean, how many sex workers had to endure uh, working in brothels in Afghanistan because the reports from Bosnia during the Yugoslav War uh, and other places is quite horrendous. Never did we get a single reply. And this is a story which really needs to be investigated now that it's possible to, to, to find out what happened and where others were in now. Even in the past few days, the tens of millions uh, they were more killed by a drone strike in the end of the uh, occupation. The Pentagon says no one will be uh, prosecuted. You say in the book that, uh, and I suppose one could say that what you were talking about there was facilitated by the International Monetary Fund in a way, indirectly. What do you mean by the IMF being partly responsible for the creation of what would become 9-11, I suppose, political Islam? When you create a system in which you take away the safety net from large numbers of people in the global south, many of them in Muslim countries, but not exclusively, what do you leave them with? You leave them with nothing. You create an emptiness in these societies. And in situations like this, religious preachers can be very effective, saying no one does anything for us, only God. And the only way you will do it is by doing A, B, C, D, E, F, whatever their motives are, whoever their enemies of the time are. And um, so this entire 
economic policy framed by the global economic institutions emptied these countries. You know what I mean? Emptied and gave them the hope at all. They didn't know what to do. And the pattern is, uh, is, is virtually the same. Of course, in some countries like Pakistan, these groups were deliberately created from above in order to fight the jihad against the Soviet Union or in order to do what the United States wanted to be done uh, uh, in relation to setting up a Taliban government, etc., etc. But in most cases, the attraction to small minorities, it has to be said, of jihadis is linked to the economic crisis in these countries where nothing is done for them. They live in miserable conditions, no health system, functioning health system, no functioning education system. And at the same time, they see an elite in their countries belonging to the same religion, getting richer and richer and richer, having living in a bubble world. But within this bubble world, private jets fly them from one part of the country to the other. Their children go to top schools, which exist in that country but are not available to an overwhelming majority of the population. I sometimes wonder how come the, 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 it isn't large at this moment. Tarek Ali, I'll stop you there. More from Tarek after this break. Plus, is time running out for the Native American known as the USA's longest-serving political prisoner, Leonard Peltier? We ask his lawyer about his chances for freedom and the dark legacy of the FBI's counter-democracy activities. All this and more from the upper part two of Going Underground. Hold on, everybody. Hold on. I'm Silvio Taragali, legendary activist and author of the 40-year war in Afghanistan, a chronicle foretold. Right now, there are definitely Clintonite forces. So Keir Starmer, of course, leader of the Labour Party here, appointing people who supported uh, wars uh, after 9-11 like Afghanistan. You, you draw contradictions in this book between uh, uh, the fact that Tony Blair believed in nation building and at the same time was destroying Britain at home uh, in the sense of privatizing of uh, uh, the nation itself. Just tell me about that. Destroying social democrat democracy norms from 1945 onwards here at home while trying to create them abroad. Well, it's the neoliberal consensus created by Thatcher uh, and Reagan. I mean, there was a real continuity who had uh, Thatcher and Major Blair, Brown, Cameron, all of them effectively hanging on to that consensus. And Blair uh, and Mandelson actually boasting, we're going to privatize more than she did. Well, that's your philosophy. How can you build any country anywhere in the world except by handing over money to unscrupulous, corrupt local politicians and uh, landlords and hoping they'll do something. And of course, they make the money themselves. They build mansions for themselves. Uh, You know, Afshan, it would have taken $5,000 to build a small house with two or three bedrooms of mud bricks to house an Afghan family. 
Why didn't they do it? They didn't do it because the, the idea of doing it had been outlawed and banished, more or less, in the West itself. Well, the cost of the wars is estimated at, at uh, trillions. 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 In trillions, but they couldn't build anything for the ordinary people. Well, uh, finally, just uh, on, I mean, Julian Assange famously said uh, that the Afghan war was a recycling mechanism of uh, taxpayer dollars into the arms companies and mercenaries and all those uh, companies lobbied for it on K Street uh, and their profits. You you say that there's optimism in the sense that um, you seem to suggest it. Uh, a young population, average age 18 in a 40 million population country, you believe that Iran, Pakistan, China and Russia will replace the NATO powers. I mean, why are you so confident that uh, NATO nations won't again go back into Afghanistan, as you say, it didn't remind you so much of Vietnam, the defeat this year. It was uh, uh, the Mahdi in, um, in Khartoum, it reminded you in the 19th century. <laughs> I was being a bit provocative, but the thing is this, that the world has changed. China occupies a very big place now in any serious geopolitical thinking in that region. The first country visited by the new Taliban leaders was China. Uh, we still haven't had a detailed account of the talks, but it's fairly clear that two things were discussed. A, that Afghanistan shouldn't be used as a base by charity groups against any country. And secondly, discussions on coming into China's Belt and Roads Initiative and having some infrastructure developed add to that that when the war against Afghanistan started, Iran backed NATO because of its own rivalries uh, with the Taliban and Herod was a hotspot of opposition to the Taliban government. Compare it with this time. As the Taliban entered Herod, there was no opposition as such. So the indications are, and more than indications, we know that since 2015-2016, the Iranians have been in discussions with the Taliban, without any doubt. They are suggesting that the Afghans go for a constitution. They would suggest the Iranian model is better. Well, that is better than nothing. I will grant you that. And they're suggesting facts between the two countries and uh, no more battles and rivalries, etc. So it's the changed world and Iran's big changed role. Uh, they have no illusions now in the United States at long last. Uh, China's changed role. Russia is not backing into the last phase, didn't back the what was happening in Afghanistan. So this big shift, I think, offers some hope. I'm not too hopeful, actually. You know, there's a gloomy side to me, but the I am more hopeful than I've uh, been for some time. Thank you. Thank you. Well, another street-fighting man known around the world is the USA's longest-serving political prisoner, de facto, Leonard Peltier. 
championed by everyone from Nelson Mandela to Tucker and to Marcos to Rage Against the Machine. 45 years ago today, the legendary Native American activist woke up in the U.S. after being extradited from Canada on their withdrawn testimony linking him to the murder of two FBI agents. His arguably discredited trial is now viewed in the context of the FBI's wider COINTELPRO initiative that aimed to stifle dissent and protest within the United States. Now 77 and in ill health, Peltier is looking to U.S. President and mass incarceration architect Joe Biden for clemency. Leonard Peltier's lawyer, Kevin Sharp, joins me now from Nashville, Tennessee. I should say Judge uh, Judge Sharp. Thank you so much for coming on. Before I get into this, and I would advise people to look up his case on the Internet if people don't know who Leonard Peltier is, uh, how is the health of Leonard Peltier? Well, you know, Leonard, he's, he's 77 years old. He has multiple health issues. On top of that, you've got raging COVID throughout the Bureau of Prison system. It, it's, it is really touch and go with Leonard's health. Um, he's got some serious issues that, that really cannot be dealt with within the Bureau of Prison system. We need to get him out. Now, you were appointed a federal judge by uh, Obama, Barack Obama. He couldn't free Peltier. His um, FBI director was James Comey. Uh, quite a famous FBI director. Uh, Bill Clinton couldn't under uh, Louis Free was the FBI director right. then. Except now it's all changed. We've got Biden's own Interior Secretary Deb Haaland, who said before appointed her appointment that uh, your client should be freed. Surely he can be freed now. Right. Well, I want to go back. You know, could they have freed him? They could. They didn't have the political will to do it. We know what you said at the at the top of the show. This is all a holdover from the Hoover FBI and the COINTELPRO FBI. That doesn't exist except to the extent that you've still got Leonard Peltier in prison. You need to get Leonard out for all of the reasons that had to do with his now completely discredited trial and extradition from Canada. But you really also, the government needs to do this so that they can break from that old Hoover FBI. You know what you're saying would be completely denied I know you're a former federal judge, but uh, denied by the FBI, by uh, the, I don't know, the Supreme Court. What are you talking about? A political trial. Justice in your country is not political. That's the whole point. Well, well, look, even even the uh, U.S. attorney that prosecuted the case now says um, they don't know who shot these agents. They do know it wasn't Leonard Peltier. Yep. They know that much. And so, you know, James Reynolds who was the U.S. attorney on the case appointed by, uh, appointed by Jimmy Carter, came out with a letter in July to President Biden that says it is time to release Leonard Peltier. That's the current or the, or the former U.S. attorney on the case. I mean, Peltier uh, is uh, convicted of uh, killing Jack Cola, Ronald Williams. Two life uh, sentences. I know the witnesses have withdrawn uh, their claims at that time. Ballistics, forensics are all, uh, uh, you you maintain, uh, vindicating it. I mean, well, actually, um, since people may know some of the case of killing the murder of these two FBI agents, is some of the affidavits were withdrawn because they were kind of tortured by the FBI, the witnesses, tied to chairs. The U.S. government does not claim anymore that he shot these agents. They don't know who killed the agents. And his co-defendants were acquitted based on self-defense. What the government ended up doing, once it was discovered that they had exculpatory ballistics evidence that they did not turn over, he was originally convicted of shooting two agents. Then it was determined, 
or revealed that they had exculpatory ballistics evidence. Once that came out, you could no longer say that Leonard Peltier shot anybody because they knew that he had And so they changed their theory to one of aiding and abetting. <laughs> so then the question becomes, who did he aid and abet? Because his co-defendants were acquitted based on self-defense. Mm-hmm. So when the assistant U.S. attorney who tried the case was asked by Steve Croft in 60 Minutes, who did he aid and abet? He said, I don't know, maybe himself. <laughs> well, that's legally impossible. There was no crime if his co-defendants were acquitted based on self-defense. And you cannot aid and abet yourself. And I know, uh, well, I suspect he was, thought he was being cute and funny and flippant with that answer. But this is somebody's life. This is a criminal justice system in this country that has to mean something. And we have a constitution that has to mean something. And he's right that in there. 44 years for aiding and abetting himself, though he didn't shoot the gun that... <laughs> And it's legally impossible to aid and abet yourself. You either did it or you didn't do it. And Mm -hmm. you didn't do it. Which is why, which is why this goes back to COINTELPRO, as you're saying, because it's it's a case that means something. It's symbolic. That's your uh, contention. How would you explain to Christopher uh, Ray, who actually said to the Senate Judiciary uh, Committee in March, the FBA uh, is not systematically racist, raised some eyebrows given the FBI involvement or accusations about involvement in assassinations of black uh, leaders, obviously. How would you explain to Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI, who presumably will be telling Biden about whether to release your uh, client, what COINTELPRO even was? Well, it's, it's back to where we were before, which is the government needs this as much as Leonard Peltier needs to go home and spend the remaining days of his life, which are probably not many, back at the, at the, uh, at his Chippewa reservation in North Dakota. But the government needs this because there's no question that COINTELPRO existed. There's no question that COINTELPRO systematically violated the rights of U.S. citizens. Nobody questions that anymore. Of course it happened. What we question now and what the FBI needs to look at, the federal government needs to look at, is does that still exist? And if it doesn't, well, then let's break from that. You've still got a prisoner. There, there are multiple prisoners, though, who were victims of that. You still have one in prison. We now know the violations that happened. We now know the threats and the intimidation against witnesses to testify against him. We now know that ballistics tests proving he didn't shoot anyone were withheld. We now know that there was a racist juror, admitted prejudiced juror, who stayed on the jury. We know all those things, all constitutional violations. Let's end this and let him go home. And just finally, 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 very, very briefly, what will it mean as regards uh, accepting the history of genocide of Native American peoples in the Americas if he does die in prison? And uh, he could he could get a plea deal, but he refuses to do a plea deal. He wants clemency rather than a plea deal. What would it mean if he took a plea deal, come to think of it? Well, he didn't commit it. He's never going to admit that he committed a crime he did not commit. If he was going to do that, he wouldn't have spent the last 45 years in prison. What it means, though, to release Leonard Peltier is that we can kind, we can finally start to deal with the issues of our tortured relationship with the Native American community. What they need to do is say, let's release Leonard. Let's admit the mistakes of the past. Let's start to try and heal that relationship.
Judge Kimichov, thank you. Thank you. That's it for the show. We'll be back on Monday when we speak to a man detained for 14 years at the USA's de facto infamous torture camp in occupied Cuba, Guantanamo, still open today despite vows from Washington to shut it down. Until then, keep in touch by social media and get in touch to let us know if you think Biden should run clemency to Leonard Peltier. Wow. I'll just say that, you know, like I've watched on the X-Files, uh, Mulder and Scully's boss, Mr. Skinner, was working for the cigarette smoking man. And, and who it, was he in generally describing him? The cigarette smoking man answered to the men in black and the MJ-12 group who run the entire... Majestic 12 was created by... Majestic 12 was created Henry by... Henry Kissinger. And the <laughs> OSS that became the FBI, CIA, NSA. It all has to do with our friends from the stars. And I'm just saying that letter Peltier, Peltier, however, it's a French name. Peltier. Yeah. Peltier, yeah. Because that R is not really sound. He never did it. The FBI did it and blamed it on him. They were looking for uranium in that area of, at the time when that shooting happened at the Pine Ridge land. He was Chippewa. Was he on the Pine Ridge? Was that? I, I think it happened at the Pine Ridge. I can't recall. Pine Ridge is, uh, is Denae. Pine Ridge. Lakota, I mean. Yeah. So he's, he's Chippewa. I'm just saying that. I think it happened somewhere around there, though. That it had to do with how they exposed the government tried to get the uranium on the land, and they killed people for the uranium. And, and laid a trip on him for doing it, and he didn't. That's right. And it's... Uh, no nukes. This is just like in a different story, but the same story, that if you're not... if you're not the right color skin and the right background ethnicity, then you must be suppressed. Killed, denied, uh, or if you are the right color, yet you, in the terms of the dark ones that want you to be a certain color, uh, don't approve of your of your walk, your lifestyle, your your purpose. And then you got Julian Assange with that, because Julian Assange is the whitest of whites, <laughs> with towhead blonde. White blonde he, hair. He reminds me of the Pleiadians. And blue eyes. Yeah. And sitting in the Belmarsh prison. And oh, there was a, there was just a real quick, there was a, um, there was a section on Alex Witt this morning that was saying that, um, um, what was I just saying, Rob? Talking about Alex Witt and yeah, and something. But before that, before I brought Alex Witt up, you were talking about Julian Assange being. Oh yes, Alex Witt said that Dah 
President Trump, former President Trump, better hope that Julian Assange never steps one paw on the turf of the United States because he is duck soup. And something happened. I was talking to Rama or somebody called, and I don't know what the answer is, but for that to be said in English this morning, I have it recorded and I'll figure it out. But uh, all I can think about in terms of that meaningfully is that Julian Assange said who did 9-11, right? That's right. And... Uh, Donald Trump invested uh, into what they call the put options, uh, along with who were the other two? Larry Silverstein. Larry Silverstein and the other one? Um, Rudy Giuliani? No, the governor of New York, maybe? Mr. Como. No. Uh, I forget. (laughs) I think it begins with a B. But it's got to do with Bloomberg. Me. Bloomberg. Who Bloomberg was? News. What was his? No, but what was his political position? Bloomberg wasn't he the? He ran for mayor president. or governor of New York. He was mayor of New York. That's the same place. That's, so Donald Trump, New York. Bloomberg, New York. And what was the third one? Larry Silverstein. New York, nine eleven, Ground Zero. Those three made billions of dollars, which they put in all kinds of other things. And it's called money laundering opportunities, but they also were dumb, dumb, and dumber and lost as much as they gained, pretty much. And so we're we're uncovering the biggest story of all, just in this one half an hour going underground that Afshin brought Tariq Ali and this judge uh, talking about Leonard Peltier. The Native American needs to be free. Persons of black color, of brown color. It's it's this thing about white supremacy. And again, everyone who has a white skin, no matter what, there is a built-in natural, you might say, in terms of the dark side, prejudice going on because they see your color and they pass you by unless you get very loud with your voice. And then, like I said, this is why Julian Assange is sitting in Belmont. So blaze the violet fire. Okay, what's this now? This is a Lemurian meditation, right? Tell everybody what this is about, Rama. Uh, This uh, is the seven sacred flames meditation, seventh ray temple, the Violet Flame Temple in Telos, where we will go on a journey with beloved ascended Master Saint Germain and um, experience this Lemurian temple that the Violet Flame sits in presently, right now, in Telos, and we can come there etherically, Physically, I, I'm saying that as you have the wherewithal to go through the portal up there in Panther Meadows and go into Telos, you can experience this violet flame temple. Blaze the violet flame. Yeah. Let's do this. This is 17 minutes, everybody. Let's do a really deep-hearted meditation.
Journey to the Violet Flame Temple in Telos with Adama and Saint Germain. Yes, Adama is there. <laughs> and here. And here. And everywhere. Beloved ones, center in your heart and intend to be filled with the loving energies of your divine presence. Hear these words. In the name of the I am that I am, from the Lord God of my being, I ask now that every cell, every atom, and every electron of my four body systems, all my subtle bodies, every particle of life of who I am in all dimensions and states of consciousness, be totally filled with the wonders and the miracle energies of the violet flame of freedom's love. Germain spends much time here with his twin flame Portia 
and legions of violet flame angels recharging and tending the energies of the violet flame for our beloved Mother Earth. Allow your breath to take in this energy as much as possible as it flows through all your bodies and know you can bring it back with you when you return to full consciousness. Breathe in the violet flame. You are now standing in a large circular room with high ceilings. The violet flame is present everywhere. Notice the pure violet amethyst walls and the smooth amethyst crystal floor beneath your feet. amazing number of violet-toned lights are piercing through the amethyst walls, creating a mystical, starry vision. Dozens of fountains in all sizes and shapes, emitting every possible shade of violet hue in a magical play of colors and tones, are everywhere. Water fairies are having great fun playing with these energies. Watch their exultation in their playful joy. The flower fairies are busy creating beautiful flowers with this light energy in all shapes of white, gold, and violet. They are tossing some to you, honoring you, blessing and welcoming you. Receive and take in this blissful, joyful moment. Multitudes of violet flame angels are tending the violet fire with their love and adoration. And the violet fire is not hot, but rather on the cool side.
Notice there are several chairs in this captivating room. Choose the one you are drawn to. The one that feels the most comfortable to you. These chairs are made of pure violet crystal with a flame of violet underneath each one, rising up to enfold you, entering and infusing every part of your body through the lower chakras. At the same time, there is another violet flame coming down from above, penetrating your crown chakra and infusing every cell of your body. Breathe this in through your crown chakra. You are immersed in the violet flame essence like never before. Several violet flame angels are now surrounding you, pouring cups of love and cups of violet fire into your energy field, transmuting whatever needs healing at this time. As you continue to breathe in this energy, the Master Saint Germain with his Lady Portia and Lady Kuan Yin, the Goddess of Mercy and Compassion, are now by your side, filling you with their love, imprinting your auric field with the flame of compassion. level of compassion for yourself and for those you love. healing in this moment. Invoke the energies of compassion and forgiveness. Allow, feel, 
and no change is taking place on all levels in all your bodies. Breathe this in, beloveds. Open your heart to Saint Germain, the violet flame, to Quan Yin and the flame of compassion, and set your intention to completely heal yourself, to heal all traumas, past and present. This room is filled with the violet flame's powerful healing energies. Invoke this flame to assist you in your healing. Feel the heaviness lifting and dissolving into the light. joy infusing your whole being. Allow this lightness, this beauty, this love and power to nurture you. You are moving toward your victory. Do not feel rushed. Take all the time you need. Breathe.
We invite you to come back to this magnificent temple to recharge and balance your energies with beloved Saint Germain and the violet flame. The door is now open to you. Saint Germain will be there for you and his angels will delight in offering their love and assistance. I, you might say, right, Rama, that the ancient Lemurian land is the land of the indigenous people of Earth. Yes. The original. They, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I mean, Rama, Rama and myself, we lived with Princess Sharula. And her beloved, and I'll just put it that way. They, and and every morning, and there were uh, all together. That's um, I said uh, the, the the divine couple there of ancient Mu, and uh, then there was three, four, five, six. I think that's right. Three, four, five, six. Okay, so there was uh, six of us all together. And we would get up at 6.30 in the morning, right? Yes. Every morning. We actually get up at 6, and then we come together at 6.30. And I just think that's interesting because this next year is 2022, which is a 6. So we are being overlighted by... Lady Master Nada for the year. Yeah. Uh, just, it's amazing to hear that she, our friend Joni, said there will be, uh, uh, you might say, a handing over of the powers of, of and, a, and a male will have to surrender it to a female. And so you might say the ancient Atlantean, uh, story is standing down so the wisdom of Lemuria can come forward which is the, the grandmothers make the laws that's right and the female warrior goddess and when we talk about that we're talking about that which mother keeps on telling us him you know that you're equal to me princess diana from tramecia the amazonians wonder woman <laughs> oh, is that right? Teach that to somebody who doesn't know what you're talking about. Uh, they, everybody knows who Wonder Woman is. <laughs> no, 
Not true. She's been around since World War II in the comments. I understand. <laughs> okay. You must understand that they didn't have internet. They didn't have no. even newspapers. You go to the newsstand and you buy the comic book yeah, for 10 cents. Not back then. Okay. <laughs> really? Okay. Truly, it just depends on where you are. And you, yes. What I'm saying is, what's the story in a synthesis? The story. What is Wonder Woman? Let me give a question. What is Wonder Woman's aspect of ancient Lemuria that she represents as the warrior? There goddess? were a group of women that left Greece and Hyperborea and Lemuria and Atlantis and created their own sort of women goddess society on an island called Thramesia that is kind of near Turkey and that area of Gobeki Tepli. Okay, now wait, wait, wait. What I see is that in the story that geographically we're talking about, we're talking about if you get a globe and you look for Pangea. Yeah. There was a name in the global thing of a global Earth, uh, uh, for Pangea, wasn't there? There's another name for it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I, it's the same. It's Lemuria. At, there was a, no other Earth on the whole planet. All the little archipelagos and islands, none of that was there. It was only that one landmass, and it covered from North Arctic Circle to Antarctic. And it did the breadth of the Pacific Ocean, you might say. The, yeah. the, at, at, at the time we have now, that's what's left of it. The whole globe was the Pacific Ocean at that story's beginning. I mean, think of all the beautiful places that are in different chunks around here. And so uh, this is amazing. So what are we doing next? Okay, now we're going to do something. The Shining Ones. There were Freddie Silva and Regina Meredith. And it's interesting because Freddie Silva's name was brought up, wasn't that yesterday? Yeah. Or on Thursday or something? Yeah. So he's here. And he's with, what's her Regina name? Meredith. Regina Meredith. And what is, what is this about, Mama? Um. Um. I'm talking about the otherworldly watchers who repeatedly appear during times of catastrophic change on our planet and help humanity move forward. And what this is talking about is Quetzalcoatl or Katumi or Tehuti, you know, the other had Hermes Thrice Majestic Thoth, Pythagoras. Yeah, all the ascended masters, wise councils of elders. And who was it? Lord Katumi himself over there in the temple in India, the Taj Mahal. Oh, uh, Shah Jahan. Yes, he was a living king and he carried the energies of Katumi. Yeah. In that incarnation and at the time... Where that Taj Mahal is, that energy is right there. Yeah. In the ground. And the I ground. have been in the Taj Mahal. <laughs> 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 Let's just say, oh 
My God. <laughs> when you feel the energy, just listen to Paul Horn inside he, the Taj Mahal. You've been playing it. Let's play it again tonight, Sam. Yeah. Okay. All right, so we better begin. What's the, so what's the Okay, let's see. Um discover the hearing healing geometric shapes we inherited from from who? From them. From uh Freddie Sirius talking talking about the sil uh Freddie Silva believes these giant beings, the shining ones. That they're giant beings, Rama. Yeah, these folks are And know, they always return in a real big way. Nine to at, fourteen to twenty five feet tall, fifty feet tall. And and they they're they're part of the watchers. Yeah, the great silent watchers. Great silent watchers. Joni Patri speaks about Lord Indra. Lord Indra was one of these cyclopean watchers during the time of the Mahabharata. And Krishna and Rama and Shiva. Mm-hmm. And Freddie Silva's been in the Taj Mahal many times. Yeah. This is such a Western to Eastern uh, ascension process, everyone. So researcher Freddie Silva describes these otherworldly watchers who repeatedly appear during, specifically during times of catastrophic change. In other words, let's get that right. That's what we're doing right here, right now. Climate change, consciousness, and conflict are all going on right now. Uh, uh, climate change, yes. On our planet, Mother Gaia. And help humanity move forward. That's what the giants come here for. Now they're, Rama, you were in a teepee up there in Vermont. So, yeah. <laughs> and it was 33 below zero. <laughs> and two Sasquatch, humongous. And this is in, what, midnight? Yeah. And the, what happened is their furnace inside their teepee Our cracked. Our cracked because it was so cold outside, and we kept getting the uh, stove going because <sighs> the ice on our boots was not melting, and our two cats were very upset. <laughs> They wanted to stay inside the sleeping bags, right? Yeah. I and mean, when the Bigfoot people came, uh, Sasquatch, they started making sounds I have never heard cats make. <laughs> but it was, they wanted to check up on us to make sure we yeah, because there didn't was, freeze to death. Well, not only that, the fire was coming through the crack and you could see right into yeah. the heart of the fire because was you, the coming, door cracked. The coals were coming down into the teepee on the floor. Then that's why they came. Yeah, they so we wouldn't start a fire. They knew there was an emergency, and they yeah. were going to make sure if they needed to be there that they would be there. Yeah. And then they peered. They peeked down into the teepee. <laughs> and Rama was with his previous partner at that time. Yes. And two cats. <laughs> and everybody, the cats saw it too, right? Yes. So what did happen? Did they decide you would be able to figure it out? We just laid there and looked at these pairs of eyes looking at us, and we telepathically just said, we're okay, we have to get up and go to work in the morning. 
and that's what we did, and everything was okay. Okay, so let's do this now. So the final idea here is to befriend these beings, yet to go from that piece. Silva believes these giants, giant beings shared advanced knowledge. So you guys got a, what do you call that in Star Trek? We got a download or a Vulcan, mind meld, Vulcan, a Vulcan mind, mind meld. meld. That's what you guys got. Yeah. And um, yes, and he believes that the giant beings shared advanced knowledge with us, meaning humanity and all of life on the planet, right? The relationship was enhanced between Sasquatch and humans. <laughs> And they both have human DNA, right? Yes. Our brothers and sisters from the stars and the earth. Mm -hmm. Who has something to say? That's what Silva goes on to say. He says, knowledge with us, including astronomy. We've got esoteric astrology going on, but now we're moving into the astronomical fields, too. The title of this piece is The Shining Ones for that reason. So... Mathematics is included also, and temple building. Shared, okay, uh, uh, discover the healing geometric shapes we inherited from them, and the crop circle symbols. These lookers left behind to buy humanity more time. Plus, get a sneak peek at Silva's upcoming book presenting new discoveries about an ancient, mysterious culture he believes were the origin of the Shining Ones. All right, now we did it. Here we go. With discoveries that are fresh. I know. And new. I know. It's exciting. All those islands around Scotland, and there are things there that shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. And archaeologists actually agree with that. Whenever we hunter gatherers interacted with these people, it was always at times of great tribulation. But somehow there was always this hope. But one woman, the seven guys, she used the head. One every... woman equals seven guys, I think. Exactly. And that happens all around the world. Yeah. The energy lasts for six to eight years after the real circle's gone. The right. shape is just to get your attention. 400 years ago, we had bubonic plague, which wiped off half of the human population. And what did we get out of this? The Renaissance. We're told that once we've given the information to people, and right. I quote, humans will have to figure this out. And there's a large window of opportunity, but the window is closing. As we're re-emerging from a global scenario that has left our world changed, some of us are looking to simply get back to normal, while others are ready to reinvent themselves. Taken on a larger scale, what is seldom spoken about here on Gaia and other sites is how civilizations have re-emerged from large-scale catastrophic events. Wisdom always rises in times of need. And Freddie Silva and I are going to focus on some of the phenomenal breakthroughs that occurred in our Earth's history following great challenge. 
Welcome, Freddie. It's so good to see you again. Good to see you again, Regina. And you know, we're gonna we're going to go a little further than we had planned on in this conversation because there's another part uh, of this story that we hadn't really planned on talking about that's woven in, and we'll, we will get to that. But I think it's I'm important sure to. Yeah, I know. We always go off script. We should throw it away, actually. So um, I, I, I love what we have going here uh, about looking, hopping around the world and looking at the various places and how what kind of incredible breakthroughs happen after we had some kind of cataclysm. But the other thing that goes hand in hand with it, and I bring it up because we're doing all this stuff on disclosure these days, is that other beings, and I've mentioned you in other interviews, um, called the shining ones often show up at that time and help humanity back to well they help us move forward exactly they help with the inventiveness so i would love you to just comment on that and how the shining ones have appeared and then we're going to go around these various places and look at what they and humans have contributed like traveling around the world without paying for it exactly i love the show you had a little you said off camera orson well said what <laughs> The Swiss had 900 years. The Swiss had 900 years of peace. And what did they give us? The cuckoo clock. <laughs> exactly. So that's what peace does to a brain. Okay. <laughs> Let's see what uh, attention does. No, it's, it's absolutely right. I mean, if you look at the old traditions, whether you're sitting in South America or the Middle East or Mesopotamia uh, or Egypt, these people uh, had this nickname called the Shining Ones. One, because uh, incredibly enough, they had very light skin. So they kept putting this sort of... Um, sealant on it to protect themselves against the sun, so it gave them a shiny appearance, but it was also a nickname that defined them as very intellectual people, so when you have a high level of intellect, mm-hmm. obviously you have a shine about you, a glow about you, so it was a wonderful compliment, and uh, when I read about the indigenous stories, whenever we hunter-gatherers back in the day interacted with these people, it was always at times of great tribulation, so either the earth had been Absolutely pummeled by meteorites or sea levels had risen. We'd lost lands to the uh, oceans. But somehow there was always this hope. And mm-hmm. these people always show up at the right moment. And suddenly they say, well, uh, let's start agriculture. Let's start with a cow that we really can't do anything with. And we'll make the cow give us milk. Mm-hmm. Uh, or we'll do some other animal husbandry. Or, I know, we'll take some grain, which is wild. Well, there's a way to domesticate grain, and you can make lovely bread out of it, and all kinds of wonderful things. And before Take you the know resources it, that are there that we may, may not have seen the value in exactly. in our state of trauma at the time. Exactly. Yeah. And suddenly you have a way out. You have a positive attitude to take, and it, miraculously, around the world in little hot spots at exactly the same moment, at around about eight and a half thousand BC uh, Tuesday, um, they basically did, we discovered civilization. Right. So I bring this up because um, we're being propagandized to such a ridiculous extent to fear anything other that might come here to this planet, fearing other in these horrible Hollywood fright scenarios and even the whole release or non-release, non-disclosure from the Pentagon uh, in June of this year, even that... uh, suggest that we need to know more they already know okay but we need to know more because these beings can seem to be able to do more than we can we better get prepared so we can shoot them down or whatever they may be a threat and i am so sick and tired of the threat scenario and i that's why i brought you up in other interviews saying look 
They've been here historically all along helping humanity. What do you think's going on right now? They're exactly. here now exactly. trying to help us. Even aliens lock their doors when they fly past the earth nowadays. So what are we <laughs> yes. complaining about? Exactly. You know, it's like I'm not going anywhere that place. <laughs> exactly. It's totally not right. So, yeah, But go it's ahead. true. Yeah. And I think that people in governments, they do know what's going on. Uh, undoubtedly so. Uh, and I think they want to have an edge of, of control of the situation so they can be the first people to have contact. I think that's what it comes down to. They're just, they're just afraid that if everybody else has the ability to make contact with these people, then it's no longer their domain. They can't control it. I think it's, it's, it's that simple. It's a proprietary yeah. interest and also technology. Very much Because so. according to the people that work in the Pentagon and elsewhere, we've been dealing with them forever and already exchanging technologies. It's whoever exactly. can own it first. And I mean, when we were researching the crop circle phenomenon mm-hmm. back in the 80s and the 90s, we had the same rapport with the circle makers. And I don't mean the, the people. Yeah. I'm talking about the, the people who are actually making the real crop circle. Right. There are two sides to the story. Right. And we had our phones bugged. And you know, back then you had your phone bugged because you had the real phone. The lad yeah, because you were one of the early people that yeah. was outspoken on it, writing yeah. about and it. And I used to throw the wrong information down the phone to all my colleagues. And they'd give me nonsense on the phone. We'd already sent the right information via snail mail. People have Google this stuff now if you're under 30. <laughs> and, um, yeah, we'd get the information crisscrossed to us, and we're always at the edge and the forefront of communication. We knew where the crop circles were going to be. We knew the information we were going to be given and how to apply it. The government always had to listen in to us to find out what the hell. So you send them north instead of south. Oh, the amount of times we sent the military <laughs> to the wrong field, and we're sitting on the side of a hill having a sandwich, watching the British military surrounding the wrong field, and we tell them you're in the wrong field. <laughs> we had a, a lot of great fun, and it wasn't dangerous. We didn't feel like a sense of danger. But again, it goes back to what they were saying in the old days. I mean, the Hopi said the same thing about these antediluvian people. They were great helpers of, uh, who assisted us escape a sinking land in the middle of the Pacific, whose name I actually forget right now, Kashkara. Mm-hmm. Kashkara. Uh, I gotta remember all these names. And they helped us go from stepping stone to stepping stone because that's all that was left of our land. Right. Sea levels rising. And it's because of them, uh, one of them was called Anu Sinon, the, the leader of their pact, who helped a group called the Hisat Sinon who became known as the Anasazi mm-hmm. before the Hopi reached the southwest of America where they are now. And they said, yeah, they told us to not be complacent every 16 years, move somewhere else, look at the lay of the land and adapt to the land. And that's how we survived these great catastrophes. And look at where we are. We survived for, what, 8,000 years right. before white people show up and, you know, the whole thing starts all over again. All over so, again. So, yeah, so they maintain themselves in perfect balance with their environment. And that's what it all came down to. It was the understanding of natural laws, understanding what's happening up in the sky. Mm-hmm. Because you've got to know Earth's place in the biggest system of things mm-hmm. because this happens regularly. I mean, the whole thing of catastrophe from the sky is one of the reasons why we built monuments with big stones. Mm-hmm. They were going to last a long, mm-hmm. long time, and they all are looking at the sky. They predict eclipses, meteorites, uh, the calendars. I mean, mm-hmm. the Maya have calendars that go forward to 140,000 years. Why would a farmer need a calendar to tell them what's going to be happening 140,000 years from now? Because you'd be dead. Uh-huh. Uh, you'd be uh-huh. dead a long time. You don't, you know, all you need to do is have a few sticks in the ground to tell you what the earth and the moon is doing to uh-huh. plant your seeds. Uh-huh. And it was all to do with planning, knowing how to, be plan, how to plan ahead, and also knowing that your position in the bigger scheme of things, uh, luck favors the prepared, and some people will not make it, but some will. 
And it's those that will that you give them the information to make sure that they don't have to start from scratch like children or, or wild animals. You already are prepared. And that's why we're here having this conversation. Right. You know, we could have all disappeared 12,000 years ago, but look at how we've also evolved. So there's always a silver lining to these stories. And that's what makes me very positive about hearing. Oh, me too. Stories. Me too. Oh, gosh. I mean, I shouldn't do this to you, Freddie, but... You just brought up three or four different things that take us totally on a different path. Oh, this is totally so, unusual for us. But maybe just just for my own edification, for kicks, and then I want to share something. Anasazi, talking about the Anasazi. Years ago, I was going to do a documentary with a person I won't name, uh, but that person had access to satellite imagery, and they were extreme hiker, an extreme hiker in the Southwest. And the point of what I'm about to say is that we have these large catastrophes, and then we have these many ages within. And what he had discovered for people that find all the mysteries around the Southwest, like Chaco Canyon, where's that road lead to, right? And why these cliff dwellers and so forth. What he discovered is that that was an inland sea not Mm. that long ago. And the Anasazi took off after that drained, basically. Absolutely. So, I mean, these little mini events have happened that still remain a mystery to the state, but they're not mysterious. They're actually quite logical. It's hard when your water has drained. You can't ride your canoe in to a boat anymore. You scramble up a a, a crusty hillside. Well, there's there's one canyon I particularly like going to. Uh, It's not an easy hike. It's five hours with five gallons of water on your back in Utah. I love the solitude, but if you look at all the petroglyphs, and they're actually life-size images Mm -hmm. of the shining people, who they call the lookers in this part of the world, uh, they're eight feet tall, which is exactly how they're described yes. around the world. But if you look at all the petroglyphs, they're a consistent 20-odd feet above the canyon right. floor, as though the people that painted them there, they're We're on standing water. on ground. They're yes. on water. So this answers a yeah. lot of the mysteries that we still you know, maintain in the Southwest, at least through formal educational processes they 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 still it's a mystery it's not a mystery there was <laughs> the locals, there was yeah. <laughs> yeah there was land there was water okay another really quick one uh just to go back for a moment because we haven't talked about crop circles and since i first met you 10 15 years ago um uh you said you were able to tell when because were you getting uh telepathic communications in the day from the circle makers as to where they would show up you said you would know from them where they were going to be. Everything. Uh, the first, the, I mean, the, what got me to write my first book uh, really was my uh, association with a, an incredibly gifted woman uh, called Isabel Kingston, who's you wouldn't realize by sitting next to her that she's an incredibly natural psychic. And she worked with the police, with the British police. Yeah. Incredible. I mean, they just mm-hmm. go to her cap in hand. Saying, I've done stories on Let's these people. figure this yes. out and she'll, she'll give you the license plate number and all of that stuff. Real deal. And she accidentally erected information from this universal consciousness that call themselves the shining people and the watchers. And we thought, who? <laughs> um, and we're going to be showing you messengers in your fields about our existence and it's going to be helping you for this next moment of evolution in your earth time. And we thought, what the hell are we smoking? Uh, well, it turns out that all the information was right there from the beginning, all channeled. And then the more I got involved with it, the people around me got involved. And we became much more tuned to what was going on, not just mathematically or in terms of collecting seeds and doing the usual scientific stuff. Because you've got to do that to bring the skeptics into the story. Otherwise, right. they won't believe you. But once you realize that you connected to this uh, landscape of mystery, you begin to be much more clairvoyant with the land, and you can download information to the point where it was actually scary in a fun way. Mm-hmm. So there was one point in 1999 where I could actually predict where they were going to be, and I'd be off by only 24 hours, mm-hmm. only a couple of fields away. It, was, mm-hmm. it got down to that point, 
And the idea was, and which they told us afterwards, of course, or the management told us afterwards, was that, yeah, we just wanted to let you know that you can do this. Anybody can do this. Everybody has the ability to communicate on a multi-level, uh, a, a multi-dimensional level of communication. Right. And we're just one of those sources, like right. many. So we just want to teach you that you can do this. You can get help from the outside. Yeah. And just because we're no longer alive and physical in your world, in other words, we're dead relative to human people, doesn't mean we can't be useful. We're still on another level helping you out, as we right. always have. Right. You always get help. It's called angels or spirit guides. Absolutely. Whatever you want to call it. So, so you were one. really, you, you and your group were really dialed in and meanwhile you're saying, let's have some cheese and head north and you have beautiful circles in the southwest happening, right? Exactly. I've never heard that part of your story and I think it's very funny. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you're misleading them. Okay, this is just one personal quick question. Um, about, I'd say eight, eight to ten years ago, there was a crop circle at Cheesehead where a bunch of people had been gathering right nearby for a big outdoor long weekend concert. Did you ever hear anything about that one? I mean, was that real or was that a people one? Do you remember? Cheesefoot Head. I know. It's like it's, What's it it's called? pronounced Cheesefoot, but it's actually Cheesefoot. Right. I do uh, what I call it. Cheesehead. It's a bloody ridiculous language. It is. Um, Cheesefoot Head. Right. It, there's been a whole bunch of them in that uh, that yeah. uh, thing. I'm trying to uh, trying to sort of separate the real. Well, there's so many. Never mind. You probably want to. There's been a real a lot of fakes around there, but yeah. the ones from the eighth, the 70s through to the 90s at Chesford Head were the real thing. Okay. The one but, that so the one I stepped in was just broken grass. Gotcha. But here's the well, here's a double side to the story yeah. because once I published the information, and someone said once you publish this stuff, the hoaxes are going to know really had to make really good crop circles. And yeah. they actually improved after that. Yeah. They began to realize that they could overlap their creations on top of where the original ones were. Oh. So thousands would go there and go, hey, I'm getting a hit. It's a real one. Well, no. The energy lasts for six to eight years after the real circle's gone. It's yeah. about the energy. It's not this. The right. shape is just to get your attention. So they would put the hoax overlapping the general area where the original one was, and you'd think that you're getting the tingly-wingly, mm-hmm. very technical term. Mm-hmm. The but it was from wingly, before. It was from before. Mm-hmm. So in a way, uh, without the, uh, uh, the, the, the the hindrance that farmers were experiencing, and still are, by the way, the fact is that the hoaxes did, did us a huge favor by drawing people to areas where the energy was really there, and, of course, they would get uplifted. Mm-hmm. And that was part of the technology that they were using oh, interesting. to uplift the human being. Yeah. Uh, we had healing modalities that came out of this. We had uh, increasing crop growth, which mm-hmm. the farmers noted. Yeah, the real circles, we know they're real because if you plant on that area afterwards, the crops are yeah. outgrowing the rest mm-hmm. of the field by two to one. So there was actually, we're back to the same shining ones again. The technologies in the land to show that, yeah, this technology can be used to increase your harvest. And we've used that technology as well. So what's happening now with it? Because, you know, it's something, you know, early 2000s, everyone was all over it, 90s. What's happening now? Mostly hoaxed. Sorry. Mostly hoaxed. Uh, no, I'm just asking because I don't know. I've kind of dialed 99% out. 99% is all man-made. Uh, uh, there's no evidence to show that there's a real thing going on. And we t- were told that once we're done here and once we've given the information to people uh, and, and publish right. the information, so I feel so used. Uh, and abused. <laughs> and abused. Um, the information would be out there, and right. I quote, humans will have to figure this out. We've given you the information. Now it's up to you to work it. And since then, it's been mostly man-made. Uh, they've been fine-tuning, but the real circles are really the very simple ones now. They don't attract attention for that very reason, because yeah. we go there and we start arguing about it. Oh, it's so-and-so. It's this entity. It's that entity. It's the government. It's this. It's humans. Yeah, but that all those emotions are polluting the energy of what you've got there. Mm-hmm. And what you end up with is, is negativity. You don't want that. 
No. So they're saying, no, we're going to make simple circles because people don't get uh, drawn to those. Mm-hmm. They're not eye candy. It's because we need to basically, and I quote again, we need to buy humans time to figure out they're in the middle of huge changes and you need to be prepared for what's coming. Mm-hmm. And there's a large window of opportunity, but the window is now in 2021, uh, the window is closing and the window is kind of closes about 2042, according to the full Mayan calendar. 2012 was just the midpoint. Right, right. So we're now, the window's closing and we have to buy time and you begin to see changes in weather, um, all kinds of things coming out of the ground, creating plagues and things because of the warming. This is part of the natural cycle. And they warned us about this, but you need to be aware that you're in the middle of changes. We're just buying your time by telling the earth, don't overwhelm the humans to such a degree that you're going to turn, you know, mm-hmm. the coach uh, slowly. Um, buy them time to get their act together because they will figure this out. And I'm saying this on a positive level. They will figure it out. I believe that. And we're pretty close to hitting a critical mass. It's just that it's not newsworthy. It's positive news. Right. Oh, that doesn't make the news. If it bleeds, it leads. And it's, it's, <laughs> so it's not. So since we have you on the line, uh, while we kind of move on past the crop circle thing, which wasn't intended at all, but I'm very glad we <laughs> talked about it. Um, what, in your opinion, was the most phenomenal messaging, uh, maybe the top one or two crop circles that you recall of just phenomenal messaging? Ask me a simple question. Um, it depends what you're looking for. Uh, I think now, in hindsight, I think it's the healing modalities that were developed out of it. Mm-hmm. And we were told that these things have a potential to heal. Mm-hmm. They don't actually heal. They're just exchanging information from one organism to another and it's with the earth and also with people. And uh, it's something that I've, I've been involved with without advertising this. Uh, yeah, it's on my website. Uh, but I've never advertised this and people are drawn to this. And uh, the stuff that I hear back from people, what they've done with these modalities are beyond my wildest. Are they using the actual crop circle image They're using itself? the actual symbol. Yeah. And there's a whole technology behind it, which I can't, I'm sworn to secrecy. For a lot of reasons, not because yeah. it's sinister, it's because sure. it's, it's supposed to, be, it's to maintain the integrity of what mm-hmm. was given to us. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm going to stick to that. You know, I've been sure. given a huge responsibility. I'm sticking to it. I, yeah. I'm not deviating from the plan. And some of the feedback I get from people is mind blowing. Uh, but I said, I don't advertise this uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, I want people to find it for themselves. And there is an exchange of energy, uh, which is actually measurable uh, between people and People have done extraordinary things with it. I think that's the single most incredible thing that we've done. And it harks back to the time when uh, when I would talk about this, when we were doing uh, experiments with seeds and seed growth as well, because we right. were seeing the same thing. Uh, the late John Burke, who was one John of the Burke. three uh, main people involved with this wonderful. research. Yeah, Lovely wonderful guy. work. Uh, and I owe a, a lot of, for this. Yeah. I'm going to plagiarize his work Please. because he deserves to be. He does. I agree with you. He developed that technique along with uh, William Levengood, who's also passed away. There's a lot of death in this in the crop circle world. He might still be in the Gaia archive, actually, because I interviewed him prior to oh. Gaia, and they have my original he lives archive. Forever. He lives forever. Uh, yes. So they developed yes. these systems and these uh, te- uh, te- this simple technology to do the seed growth based on what we learned from crop circle research. Uh-huh. And then that became applied onto general healing because of the information we got from our psychic to tell us about how they had to change mm. information. Uh, yeah, and uh, years ago when I was in Santa Fe doing a conference with uh, 
Oh, what's his name? Wonderful gentleman from uh, St. Petersburg who I adore. Oh, from Konstantin Karakov. Thank you. Love him. Uh, I won't mention his title because it's unpronounceable. Well, he was head of the Soviet Academy of Sciences, director at That's one point. That's a simple term. Yes. <laughs> and uh, he, yes. he was actually at my lecture, and I was going to go to his lecture because oh. I adore his work. Yes. He said, yeah, I want to test uh, those little cards that you have. I said, thank you. He said, how are you going to do it? Because we have a system. He said, you have a system to measure these things? Yes. yes. Okay, I'm going to give you ones that have not been activated. So they're just, they're just paper and ink. And then you have the other method, which is something else. And I didn't tell them. And sure enough, in five minutes, you've got to read that. And you've got an aura around the cars that are activated. I'm going, yeah, there you go. And he developed it. And I thought, thank you for proving that we knew we were on the right track here. I wonder if he, you know, he's the one that was behind the development of the BioWell and the GVD. The, that, that's what that device became over time. And so now this is used to read subtle energy fields with among thousands of practitioners yeah. around the world. You can put your fingers yeah. on this machine and yeah. in five minutes you've got a biodynamic reader yeah, yeah. or what's right and wrong with you. And yeah, I tried yeah. it and I said, oh yeah, I know what's wrong with me and absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, very uh, incredible genius. Not dying soon, are you? Eh? You're not dying soon, are you? Uh, no, apparently I'm <laughs> okay. definitely be here forever. I, I'm going to sell my, my antibodies to science because <laughs> I've survived uh, the plague. And I've, done, I've taken huge risks in the last three years and apparently I appear to be immune. So, you know, I'm very fortunate. So, Well, good. I'm glad I, to I hear that part because be... you have a new book coming out, which we'll mention at the very end here. Yes. But now maybe we can get to what we were going to talk about <laughs> since we've laid a lovely foundation for it. So let's just talk this about three hour show. it because we're still talking about the shining ones. Yeah. So let's talk about the followers of Horus and the agricultural revolution in Egypt. Because, again, followers of Horus. Oh. Let's talk about them. Again, Shining Ones, followers of Horus. Aku Shemsu Hor, if you want to be, uh, get it done professionally. Uh, so 10,800 BC. Oh, look at those big rocks coming out of the sky, completely flattened the earth. Begins the Younger Dryas Ice Age. Okay, not a good time to be living. So what happens? These people, uh, usually groups of seven, with one charismatic leader making the age, and of course the woman who happens to be the main wisdom keeper. Mm-hmm. So one woman with seven guys, and she is the head. Of one everything. woman equals seven guys, I think exactly. is what you're saying. Exactly, and yeah. that happens all around the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they start to show up along the Nile, and would you believe it, in the, uh, 300 years later, they're setting up the foundation of what they call the, the foundation of the historic temples, you know, the stuff that you and I go and see today. Mm-hmm. And exactly the same moment, archaeologists were amazed to find there was an agricultural revolution Along the Nile in 10,500 BC, animal husbandry, domestication of crops, so on and so forth. Oh, and most importantly, beer. Uh, <laughs> so they set up the blueprint for what was to become a sort of a foundation, a, a safety net, an insurance policy, because they already knew they had 700 years before the next set of rocks came coming out of the sky. Mm-hmm. They're already planning for the <laughs> next stage, and of course, everybody survives. Mm-hmm. They knew what was coming, they were prepared, boom. And then they taught us how to basically evolve, and that's how you get these incredible flourishes of civilization along the Nile so early on in history. So again, they're doing us a huge favor by sharing what they had already practiced among themselves with ordinary hunter-gatherers to elevate us from our level of barbarity so we could become just like them. And that was their whole point. They said, you can do what we're doing. It's nothing godly or magical. Anybody can rise to this occasion. You just have to respect each other and stop mm-hmm. dragging the women by the hair into the cave right. and uh, eating animals raw. You just don't do that kind of thing. <laughs> in fact, you can live, in fact, most of them are vegetarians, mm-hmm. oddly enough. Mm-hmm. All the gods are vegetarians. Uh, I'll never be a god, unfortunately. I'm more of the Anthony Bourdain <laughs> school of eating. 
so, uh, yeah, no, they taught us the basic accoutrements of life, astronomy, astrology, mathematics, geometry, and, of course, temple building, which is very important because it's the dimensions, proportions, and positions of the temples which allow any diseased person to walk in, look at the correct harmonics of life, and you walk in as a god. You walk out perfect and upright. Uh, I do believe that I, uh, I really do believe, hand on heart, that uh, going to the sacred places does give you a certain inoculation against life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, uh, so far, knock, I won't do it because it will ruin the, mm-hmm. the audio, <laughs> knock on wood, um, all the people that have got, uh, gone to sacred sites with me or on their own, they've all been pretty healthy. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think there's something to be said for that. There's something about the harmonic and the frequency of these places that does something to you. It elevates your mm-hmm. body and your spirit. So this goes back to 10,500 Well, and arguably even before. Arguably even oh, from the great continent of Atlantis, the followers absolutely. of Horus. I mean, this goes as far back as we go. Well, their king list starts in 39,000 BC. There you go. Whoops. That's a <laughs> Never mentioned the Turin Papyrus in front of archaeologists. They don't like to talk about that one. Yeah, it's interesting because not that many shows are really done on the king's list. No. Which does challenge history as it's currently taught. It's a bit of a problem when you talk about... The first king is in 39,000 BC. Ah, and then you have the the venerables of Menfe that ruled for like 26,000 years. Ah, and then you have the followers of Horus that rules rules for 13,000 years. So they were partly in Egypt and partly in different lands around well, the world. Well, and I think one of the things that isn't spoken about is that ancient Egypt, ancient, ancient <clears throat> Egypt, depending on which tradition you're following, in the Hermetic tradition, they will state that it's 200,000 years old, that culture. It's 200,000, meaning it was running concurrently with Atlantis. And there was travel of many kinds at the time as the visitors came and went and populations could be easily taken back and forth. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Sumerian king list goes back even further. Right. Uh, It goes back to the lords of Anu in Armenia, uh, which is kind of the, the, uh, I mean, the lords of Anu is essentially like the core group. And they all lived, they had their own particular places around the world. Uh, so far, I figured out they had seven or eight islands. Most of them are now gone. All places that behave like islands. It's like they wanted to live here with us, but yet they want to be separate from humans. Yeah. And sometimes they would parcel out the information. So <laughs> yeah. I'm not going over there. Toss them a bone and run back and <laughs> they hide. They haven't got any beer. What's the point? <laughs> Um, no, uh, and again, they were, it was from them that they would, get, uh, once in a while, they would leach out this information in a certain uh, prescribed method to, you know, give uh, human, the hunter-gatherers the chance to elevate. Uh, and they knew, they had the foresight to understand that too much information in one go is not a good thing. You have to have the, not just the understanding, but the experience of what you do with the knowledge. Otherwise, too much knowledge with an inexperienced body can lead to all kinds of problems. I mean, look at what we do with technology nowadays. We either have a wonderful computer to either tell us, uh, you know, what the weather is or help us do some word processing, but then look what's also being done with it as well. Snooping, the, the Pegasus scandal that just came out as well with snooping around the world. So, yeah, uh, this is a very new stuff among the human race. And we're really learning to abuse it. Uh, so I think they knew, they had the foresight to understand that you drip feed the information not because you're trying to control people, uh, it's because they have to take the information, explore it, and develop a sense of integrity. And from integrity comes knowledge and development and responsibility. From that you grow as a species. So it tells me that the people that we're dealing with that were giving us all these accoutrements of civilization really understood the mechanics of psychology. Mm-hmm. They did, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And not only that, the cycles of development of species. 
which goes I mean, back this to had why been observed, so long. This had been observed before. Yeah. And as Barbara, I was talking with Barbara Hancock recently, and <clears throat> she was saying, there's no way to avoid where we're going. This whole notion of cosmic um, cosmic consciousness, cosmic contact is inevitable as we move into the age of Aquarius. The age of Pisces kept us more or less trapped in this patriarchal, um, you know, there's a lot of form and structure and there was a lot of inventiveness during that time, but now it's time to move beyond it and quit trying to essentially own it. Exactly. I think mm-hmm. we've been, yeah, we've been through this before. We had a time before that where everything from like 8,000 to 2,000 BC was a lunar worship right. society, mostly around the world. Mm-hmm. So a very uh, female-based culture. Mm-hmm. And yet yeah, that got out of control too, which is what ushers in the male solar Tell us how that era. got out of control. Basically, it's the same uh, human construct. We like a good thing. We started getting addicted to it. And before you know it, you got power. And then you don't want to give it up. So there's a lot of control that was going on. And the same thing happened with the women as well. So the men start taking over. But paradoxically, you also have the same problems with climate. So we had 13 known catastrophes between the Ice Age and today. Mm -hmm. We know these happened. And a lot of them happened in the last 2,000 years uh, as well. So we're not immune to ice ages or rocks coming out of the sky. But each time it happens, there's a moment where we sit down, we lose a certain amount of the population, and we take stock of what's going on. But that's also tied in to what the Chinese were saying. You know, the sky and people and the way they act, they're not separate things. Human thought interacts the sky and the weather, and the weather also interacts with the people and their mm-hmm. behavior. So it's a loop system. So if we are getting out of control on a heart level and a mind level, the weather reacts accordingly. It's and catastrophes are drawn to people. Absolutely. So you have a group of, uh, you know, let's say women or men working with female principles that are taking this out of proportion, out of balance. The weather reiterates, boom. And suddenly you say, Right. Now we have a bunch of guys and women saying we're going to use solar masculine power because that didn't work too well. It didn't end too well. Let's try this new method. And at the beginning, it works really well. Everything is in balance. Everything is in, in harmony. And in 2021, look at where we are. We've exhausted that possibility. Mm-hmm. We've taken the solar masculine energy to a completely new level of Stupidity, I'm stupidity. sorry. Really, I mean, it's the second Beyond most abundant le- uh, element in the universe. Right. And now we're going, perhaps oh, it's time God. to recalibrate and look at where we are. Well, now we have new progressive ideas coming into the political mm-hmm. spectrum. We have new inventions Women coming are rising up. back into Women positions of power. Women are rising back. And it's yeah. not really about gender. I think it's yeah. more about people working with a feminine concept. I agree. Because men are doing it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of male healers are coming to the fore. We have mm-hmm. new technology coming to the fore. And slowly... We have the roots of a new development. So it's like the Ice Age all over again. We can see the ends of something big happening, but we've already got the carpet that's taking us to somewhere more positive. Yes. It's that mid-section that's important. We have to ride that wave of destruction elegantly. Yes. But the thing is, we have certain, I mean, we're, we're ignorant as to our interaction with and our effect upon the natural uh, world. Yeah. So, I mean, just what you brought up, the notion that our own development and emotions affect the weather, our own emotions and development affect earth changes and the stability of the earth because the earth's emotional body is woven in with our field. Exactly. You can't separate this things, these things out and the earth is woven in with the atmosphere. So I think it's very important what you just said and we don't really talk about it much. Exactly. We, our own thoughts and character and spiritual development do have an effect yeah. on these things. Any Buddhist will understand this. Anybody that practices Zen, um, mm-hmm. the Zuni or the Hopi, uh, the White Naha, yes. 
any of these indigenous people will say exactly the same thing. You're not separate from anything. Mm-hmm. Once you start getting into the concept of nature's out there and I'm here or God is out there and I'm here, you're already lost. Uh, because you are God, you are nature, you are the embodiment of all of these natural things. Yes. So for you to behave according to your environment is to adapt and to listen to what's going on. And once you listen, doesn't mean that uh, you can lessen the outcome of what's mm-hmm. going to happen. Yes. Changes are still still be oh, upon you, but yeah, you but can, can ride it elegantly. It. Yes. You can soften it. It's like yes. a surfing actually has all the answers to this, and I've seen this. I understand having been at a cinema mine and watched surfing, and I go, that's exactly how everything really should be. You're looking at the wave and you're going, not that one, not that one, just this one. Uh-huh. And you, when you look at it as a non-surfer, you think, that doesn't look healthy. That's going to crush my bones when uh-huh. that wave comes. Right. And look at the way they blend with the water. They're in complete rhythm. They understand what the water is doing and the water understands that the surf is there. The two are wrapping each other uh-huh. in this beautiful sort of bowel. It's, it's, a, it's a really elegant thing to see. So something it as is. simple as surfing answers the reason why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing. You've got a big wave. Well, yeah, you can ride it and you can reach the beach and then have a, a beer and hang out with some seals. You know? <laughs> so, okay, yes. Uh, I was going to pick out a couple of places because we can put some lovely visuals in with them. Let's go to the Isle of Lewis, okay? Because here we're talking about this agricultural process again advanced using the currents and such this goes back to john burke's work right and what they knew at the time what they were doing at the time to advance this Mm -hmm. and i'm bringing it up because i know you've just written a book on armenia and this goes into very similar stones for the same purpose of charging seeds etc for fine water uh in armenia so let's talk about that and then we're going to talk about your new work okay so we're going to isle of lewis Okay, organic for this or modern organic farming. We're going to go there. Then we're going to Armenia, same stones used for water purification. Yeah, there's a lot of standing stones uh, in uh, the Isle of Lewis, in Orkney, all those islands around Scotland. And there are things there that shouldn't be there. Uh And archaeologists actually agree with that. And that we're finally in agreement about something. These things don't belong. And it's funny because they become the center of these agricultural communities. And you see this around the world as well. Whenever there's a sacred center, where, and the standing stone, it can't be any simpler than that, really. Mm-hmm. You know, this beautiful, beautiful monolith, you know, usually a line with straight faces, something. And um, around it, agriculture just seems to develop in a very unusual pattern. It seems to grow better than anywhere else. And um, I discovered the same process was happening in Armenia in about 5000 BC. Uh, and this is all new stuff. I mean, we don't hear much about this part no, of the world hear Armenian because problem. of so much warfare mm-hmm. that's been going on around there. And I love that part of the world. Uh, I developed a huge uh, affinity with the, with the culture. And I just discovered that back in the day, um, which covers a long period of time, they were putting these large rocks. And I'm talking about 15 foot tall monoliths. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll be shaped like um, a ball or a, a fish head inside a cave where the spring that would furnish the water to all the local villages used to come from. And the whole idea was the, the, the stone, there's some, some quality about it that purified the water. So you never touched the stone. You went there and prayed and you gave blessing, but you never touched the now, stone. Now, did the, did the springs run out from underneath the stone? Oh, yes. And around the stone? And around the stone. Mm-hmm. So it turns out that the stone itself had certain properties, uh, metallic properties and crystalline properties, mm-hmm. that when you put your intent into the stone, just like you telling, 
you know, hitting command F tells the computer to do something. Mm-hmm. So you're sending a, a command to silica in your computer. Well, your thought pattern also can tell the same to the silica and the stone. Mm-hmm. And they program the stone to say, right, your job, stone, is to make sure that the electromagnetic frequency that runs like a cross at this site mm-hmm. stays here because that electromagnetic frequency called the telluric current mm-hmm has a certain shielding property on the water, which means it's going to purify it. It's the best water filter you're ever going to get. Mm-hmm. And that's why you protect springs, holy wells. Even to this very day in the Celtic world, you see those houses in the Isle of Lewis as well. Mm-hmm. There's a, well, a tradition called well dressing, uh, which was putting certain stones of a granitic uh, force, and the granite has a kind of natural radiation to it, very natural, and it just cleans out the bacteria. So there's a method to this. Now, for, fast forward many thousands of years, you have this system, and I think it was the Perilandra system that began this in America, and there were other people that were offshoot of this system where they actually developed the same ability to develop uh, a system using copper tubes, mm-hmm. great conductor, and they would arrange these tubes in a certain geometry, usually in a, seven, in a seven-pointed star, according to a certain height and a certain width, and that geometry which just happens to be the slope angle of the Great Pyramid. Surprise, mm-hmm. surprise. Anything that grew within a 20-foot radius of that little construction in your garden would outgrow anything by about two to one. Mm. Just like John Burke's little machine, mm-hmm. just like the seeds from the crop circles that also, when we did these seed experiments, would outgrow everything by two to one. So this is a technology that's based on natural laws that helps to induce uh, growth in plants at a time when you might need it, say after a catastrophe or because you've got a um, huge population explosion. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, this is a very, very old technology. Mm-hmm. It was already being done by our hunter-gatherer friends. So, interestingly, you have learned how to speak an archaic language, or not speak, but you have learned how to read and decipher um, the Armenian language to the extent you, you're writing this new book with discoveries that are fresh, I know. And new. I know. It's exciting. Because this is something we don't know. And the link between northern Scotland and the the islands off the coast. Yes, without giving too much information yeah. away. It goes back to something of my This my, started in Sardinia? Did you start really getting peaked when we were in Sardinia? or It really okay. began with Scotland okay. and really taking notes. and Because uh, I love it up there. Yeah. I really, if it wasn't the fact that it was so far north... And you don't have much of a sun in the winter and it would drive me nuts. I would, I would move there. So yeah, no, I, I love the Scottish Highlands. I really do feel very at home. And I began to observe things and yeah, these things don't belong there. And I made notes. So we went to Sardinia mm-hmm. and we're walking around in the rain, right. ironically enough. And I'm looking at this going, wait a minute. These are the things that were over in Scotland. What's the connection? And. It was the same concept. Where does it come from and why is it in Sardinia? They call this the Nuragic culture. Mm-hmm. And there's not one person, the whole of Sardinia, that could explain what Nuragic means. Mm-hmm. So what does it mean? Uh, well, we don't know. So you have a name that defines an entire country and civilization and you don't know what it means. No? Okay. So I started looking to local language, like in Malta, and found the connection. Traced that back to Armenia. I went, oh, that's interesting. So the origin of these things in Sardinia is... In Armenia. And then it's like, again, the management drops in right, the picture and goes, right. idiot, why don't you have a look at Scotland? And suddenly I got hold of this Armenian English dictionary, the only one in the country. And, and I start looking up words in Scottish and Gaelic. And I thought, ah, 
Oh, that's interesting. And before you know it, I'm making friends in Armenia through Facebook. <laughs> and they're really interesting people too, historians and archaeologists are saying, yeah, we, we can help you with the language. And they were helping me with, with uh, me making up words from a dictionary. And I'd send them the words and I'd say, does this actually mean something? I said, actually it does. It means la 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 la. I said, well, thank you. Do you just realize you just described these temples in Scotland? No. Ah. So this, I can't tell you anymore. Because it's kind of exciting. I never would have figured that to understand Scotland, you have to go via Sardinia into Armenia. But it gives me a different understanding of a very ancient culture, which is where, ironically, the Shining Ones originated from. Oh, boy, It's like we're getting back full circle yes. again yes. to this ancient culture. And what yes. were they doing up in, in that part of the world? Yeah, mm-hmm. they were regrowing civilization at a time when the Gulf Stream was beginning to warm up that part of the world after a big catastrophe. Mm-hmm. And that's where the whole of the agricultural system of Britain begins and it goes towards England and the whole of Northern Europe. Mm-hmm. So again, out of catastrophe, we get this wonderful flourishing Yes, in fact, let's finish up on just one. Now we didn't get to most of this, but that's okay. We will, and we're going. We're going to. You'll come back in a few months, and we'll do the Armenian news story. But um, the bubonic plague. (laughs) (laughs) You 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 sent those notes to me on that. It's like four hundred years ago. If you're living in in the world, we had bubonic plague, which wiped off what um, half of the human population. And what did we get out of this? The Renaissance. That's not a bad trade-off. Okay, if you forget the whole problem with death and all of that, and look at the, the you know, human civilization on a bigger scheme of things, okay. you know, because the moment you were born, you're, you're already dying anyway. Yeah. You know, yeah. You're, the clock is already it's ticking. Part of life. It's yeah. part of the process. Yeah. But, you know, we got the Renaissance and we ended up with this, where we are right now. So, yeah, even though words, things might seem yeah. dark, uh, yeah, just focus on the good things and that's your foundation for getting you to where you are and to overcoming all these problems. So, you've got to develop your toolbox. That's why I wanted to do this show. And not only that, not only do we become more recent, what is it, uh, necessity is the mother of invention, right? Mm-hmm. And here we are. Many people's lives were changed. There was personal upheaval and many new priorities, exactly. uh, greater understanding. Um, some inventiveness came into our lives as a result of it, which I think is, I love to see that. It makes me sad when I hear people just say, I just want to get back so the malls are open. That's like, uh, no. You missed an opportunity here uh, <laughs> I mean, for a little bit of growth. I've written a book, but uh, I just didn't sit there, you know, getting yeah. fat on television. Yeah. I actually got proactive. I thought, yeah. well, I can't do this, but I, know, I can probably do this. And suddenly yes. it's like, oh, I, be, I can become proactive. So you've got to find your toolbox and make it positive because we're, we're the ones we're waiting for. We are the ones we we're waiting for. We have to help for. ourselves and, and be, yes. you know, I agree. support each other. And we have others helping us too that might just be, you know, have a little more knowledge in certain areas the that management. we need to develop right now, management and help, you know, help us here. So um, I agree. I, I wanted for you to share this for that yeah. reason. Freddie, thank you so much. And um, I'm really Always looking fun. forward to our next interview when the new book is out. Oh, it's going to be juicy. really exciting. It's going to be juicy. Yeah, I love the shining ones. I, I just love following the way they've moved around the planet and helped humanity in so many ways. And so I want to learn more about them. And they've got a wicked sense of humor as well. Oh, well, we'll talk about that in the next show. Thank you, Freddie. (laughs) For more of Freddie's research and books, and there are a lot of them, you can go to InvisibleTemple.com. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. Wow. Are we... are we synthesizing the first three lesson plans of, of this day? 
Rama. I mean, having Freddie Silva talk about this next period in alignment with ancient Lemuria meditation time and anchoring it in the new Atlantis. Isn't that what Freddie Silva is talking about? Uh, C'est possible. Yeah. And, um, like Lord Michael said, invite me in. I like tea. I also noticed in the news headlines that the um, TikTok, and this is an NBC News report, uh, and TikTok was used along with the reporting that NBC put through to say re, re, uh, reassured students and parents across the country. This happened on Friday, by the way, last yesterday. Uh, that widely circulated warnings of possible gun violence in schools was, quote, not a credible threat, says no credible threats, uh, repeated, you know, to, to rumored school violence. Um, this is fantastic. We, will we never ever learn about reporting on internet and challenges and tr- and trends. Uh, uh, 99% of them are not real, or not until the pan- pandemic, panic, handwriting, and media attention. There you go. Making make them so. So as we have the urge to write the phrase, quote, disturbing trend, unquote, in your internet story. Please rethink. All right, so what would we like to do next, Rama? Cryon. Oh, cryon. Ready? Mm-hmm. The 30-minute. We've okay. got to check in with crime. We just, just That's 30 minutes, right? Yeah, so we might have to do the 10 minute piece afterwards. Mm. I'm getting there. You are getting there. Yeah. I got it's a very, very, very wonderful mm. time to be alive. That's what I keep hearing. And it seems like there's a confirmation on all, all three fronts, climate change, um, mm-hmm. consciousness, and conflict. So do the and I keep on adding, they keep on telling me that Gigi the fairy keeps on saying you've got to add a word to that word conflict. And in parentheses it says resolution. And in, even in, uh, the considering in the in the political structure, right in Washington D.C., they they say they can they can do the Build Back Better Act uh, and deal with a one-time uh, exception, you might say, to the to the uh, filibuster. Filibuster, right? And that you could get the Build Back Better Act in the form of a resolution. 
which means we'd only need 51 votes. So this brings in why they had Vice President Kamala Harris on today, because it's always been said, right, politically, Rama, that she represents the 51st vote. The vice president, what do you call that? Uh, um, because she's the president of the Senate. She has the last wow, vote. Wow, the vice president is always the president of the Senate. Yeah. All right, start this, because we've just got enough time to meditate with crying, with keeping that in mind. What's okay. this one called again? Uh, Healing Wednesday. Episode 59, I don't know. Okay, anymore. well, whatever. We're going to do Healing Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that a commercial? Mm-hmm. They don't even let you get the first word in. You might have seen videos like this before, but here's the big secret. Anyone can make one of these videos in a few minutes. You might think you need a professional animator or to learn some fancy editing program, but that's... What, Rama? YouTube, it's owned by Big Brother. Greetings, dear ones. I am Cryon of Magnetic Service. We've started a series, and the series has to do with the attributes of awakening that may be odd or different. In this particular series, this time I'm going to talk about some things that you might feel internally. Some will say psychologically. We will say that it is more than that, much more than that. In the fourth channel, again, I'll reveal why so many of these odd things accompanying awakening or the awakening process. But again, I would like to summarize. When you think of awakening, we're talking about finding a bigger truth. And as as we said, especially in the first session, that it's almost like for centuries the consciousness of humanity has been in some kind of a box. And that is a box that is balanced with a certain amount of light and dark and consciousness that never really got any higher. Like a room that was perhaps dimly lit, you have been there surviving the best you can for eons. And again, we said like a, a door that is starting to open, where there's a tremendously bright light behind it and you can see that light in the crack and the door starts to open and many people are drawn to that door and they're afraid and they say, get away from it and others go right to it. That is personal choice. That is a metaphor of being in consciousness on the planet and having free choice to look or not look at something that some say may be evil and others say may actually be the truth. And for those who are motivated toward that door and they see that bright light, suddenly the door starts to open, perhaps for them only because they choose it, and the room is illuminated. And suddenly they see things because they open the door that are startling. This path to ascension that we talk about 
starts with awakening. You awaken to a larger truth. That larger truth is what we teach you in the circle of 12, where you go to areas and places you never have before in any meditations, and we start giving you these multidimensional things that pour, perhaps, into that which is your psyche, your soul, and you begin to realize that there is so much more to you. That is an enabling process. What it does for the human being, it gives them a larger choice yet again. This crack, this door with the light begins to open even more in the circle of 12. And with free choice, you get to see it or not and find out how magnificent you are. What is the tool set, the toolkit of awakening perhaps that you never had before that allows you to be more balanced, to heal yourself, to have peace, all of these things that you realize you can do. The human being is designed to balance itself. The human being, even with health, designed to balance itself. It's the programming that you've had in the dark energy, even from birth, that starts to build the blocks before you that you have to then get through. One of the biggest ones, and we've told you, is so many are taught that they are born unworthy. And so that which is God or that which is the creator is not available to them without some kind of thing they must do. And they can't even talk directly to that which is their soul, that which is their their entire essence. That's a block, dear ones, and it's not the truth. And yet it's there. And in some of you, it is so profoundly there that you struggle to get around it. The healers on this particular program have told you that over and over and are giving you methods to start to get around that. But so many are headed for that door, that light that is starting to open and seeing that crack and are awakening to what I will call aha moments. I once told you if you could really see yourself as we see you, it would take your breath away. Totally. Mm -hmm. It would take your breath away. That's the difference between what you've been taught of who you are and who you really are. And all that we do in this program, this show, is to try to show this to you and give choice so you to see it or not see it. There are psychological things that begin to happen during awakening. The metaphor is this. As the light starts to shine, on the world that you live in, you get to see things that you never saw before. And in seeing them, truths are revealed that you didn't expect. And those truths sometimes bother you, your psyche, your mind, your consciousness a little because you were never told that they were even possible. In fact, it is confusing to many because you are so linear and have been for so many years that as that light starts to shine on you, there could even be confusion. Confusion. And there are those who say, what kind of awakening to a greater truth comes with confusion? (laughs) Dear ones, all learning from one level to another comes with this. You've got to unlearn what you thought you knew. 
You've got to go through a process of, is it right? Is it not right? This is you. It's a complex you. It has to go through that process, that door, you might say. And in that time, there could be some questioning, confusion. Psychologically, some of you, some of you are asking questions and feeling certain things. This channel is saying you have permission to feel these things because that is what happens. Some of you are doubting who you really are. You know, this whole idea of life on earth comes with a set of parameters and rules that you make for yourself. Not that have been given you. How you feel about things, who you truly are. And when those start to meld away and you see a grander, a grander truth that may actually void out some of those things you believe, you wonder if you're losing you. It's a hard thing to imagine. But indeed, there are times when you might awaken and say, who am I? Who am I? Because I'm not the person that I was perhaps a month ago or even two months ago. Some are even wondering if you are reverting into your Akash. That is to say that you you perhaps are becoming somebody you used to be. There's actually some truth in that. And I'm going to explain that in the fourth channel as well. Some of you are trying to revisit your past. It's an odd thing that you would go there and try to revisit your path and make some things that perhaps were not right, right. You're actually playing out scenarios and trying to correct something that happened in your past that perhaps you did or you were disappointed with or something that, that changed your life forever. And, and somehow you're thinking, well, that can be changed now. And of course, in this reality you're in, it can't be. But you know what that exercise is? That's an exercise of mastery, and you've even been taught about it. You go back and rewrite things and reframe things so that your consciousness has a different reaction to them. That's mastery. You wonder why you're going through some of these things, because that is an advanced human being's idea of how to eliminate blocks. Are you following me? Some of you are starting to see individuals around you differently. Individuals perhaps you didn't want anything to do with. Or that you previously said, well, I'll put them over there, but they're not my friends. And the light is showing you something grand about them. And you're going, oh, my, I didn't know that. And you find yourself attracted to what they have or who they are or their countenance or their energy. And before you never, ever did. <laughs> and you're wondering, what is going on with me? Am I going just a little crazy because suddenly I love these new people that I threw away before in some way in my own mind? And you realize you're seeing them as a master sees them. That is an awakening idea. Some of you even perhaps are, are guilty that you did not see this before. And you are trying to then reframe that idea. Dear ones, as you open that door 
mastery starts to flow into you and causes all of these things, you have permission to feel confused. But in the process, things will sort themselves out and all of you will have a time when you look backwards, backwards, and say, I am not the human being I was last year. And then you'll know your awakening. I am crying in love with humanity. I'll tell you more next time. And so it is. Greetings, dear ones. I am Cryon. Come a little closer. The entire reason for the Circle of Twelve is to empower you. That's it. So many times meditations are seen as a time you spend connecting to the other side of the veil or to spirit or whatever you say is your way of saying, I am taking that which is my reality and I'm going to spend time going beyond it. There's some who meditate just to meditate because it feels good. And yes, it does. There ones. Again, your human body is designed to find the creator. Did you ever think about that? If you take a look at the belief systems of the planet, over 85% of the planet all believe in some kind of creative source. Now that is not indoctrination, that is intuition. From a time, perhaps, when you could look at what any human believes anywhere on the planet, that thought has occurred to them. You're designed to look for the Creator. And so many of you get to that place where you say, part of what I truly enjoy is sitting and meditating. And I have sometimes, you might say, an out-of-body experience or an in-body experience that is so close to out-of-body it feels so good. I know I'm in connection. This is not that kind of meditation. It's not even a guided meditation. It's not even a visualization. Here's why. Each of you has a soul, and that is real. It's not imaginary. That soul lays upon your humanness, you might say, in a mysterious way that you cannot understand, and it's not something that has been taught to you well. It's something that is just simply thrown out as a word. You have a soul, you come in, you leave. It's almost like accounting. And suddenly we are telling you something remarkable. The soul is the heart of everything, you might say, for a human. The soul is where love emanates from. The soul is the keeper often of Akash. That soul of yours has so much to know because it is eternal. It's been with you every single lifetime, the same one. It's almost like you come and you go and you come and you go on this planet and it's never involved in your mind, in your reality. The circle of 12 is to get you to understand that perhaps, just perhaps, there is a bigger 
reality for you. It's not a meditation where you go someplace out of body. It's a meditation where you go someplace in body, where you stay there and you cross this imaginary bridge because it's all, it's, it's all we can do to metaphorize going to that which is a multidimensional place from a linear place. And you go there and you open your eyes and you experience things that we are suggesting for you because they are real in their substance. Everything we have done so far in the circle of 12, in that theater, is a metaphor. But you experience it linearly, sitting in the chair, having that which is before you do something and talk to you or congratulate you or all of these things that we have done have a form of reality, your reality. And that is what we want to show you. Perhaps there is more to that which you think is the real thing on this planet. You. Perhaps you open a door and you experience something that you never thought was actually you. And in these meditations, you realize you can bring it back to that which is the linear you and start using it. That's the whole purpose. That's why yeah, we ask you to stay awake. To have an experience that shows you maybe, just maybe, there's actually more to you than you thought. This whole idea of the circle of 12 is a different kind of an idea that you've experienced before. Many times you may have visualizations that take you places to those who will meditate with you or guided journeys someplace. But in this, we're asking you to see it as something you are doing actually as you sit in the chair, as you follow this, when you're with me. And the whole purpose of all of it is to enhance you. I said in the channel, if you could see yourselves as we do, it would take your breath away. That is how different the real you is from the you that you believe is there. We mentioned over and over, and we have ever since we started channeling on this planet, that the blocks that you have to get through are remarkably thick. There are those of you who have awakened to metaphysics early, to an idea of past lives, an idea perhaps of karma, an idea perhaps of guides and angels, and, and so you are thinking out of the reality you have, out of the physics you have, meta, above, metaphysics. But in that, is there truly an awakening to your enormity? Or are you just echoing the knowledge of how you feel about things? 
or admitting that yes there are greater things you're working every day perhaps with the law of attraction or creating that which is real for you so you have some of these things down in other words you know how they work some of you have healed your bodies and you're actually truly in the process of awakening but how many of you actually own the fact that you're magnificent that each of you have miracles in your body waiting to be performed. That's the truth. Your body is built not only to search for the creator, but to then find certain things in your reality, bring them to you, and live a very long life. It's so interesting you find some of the ancients in some cultures have lived so long in your day, living over a hundred years, some up to a hundred and thirty years on a regular basis. And you go immediately to the linearity. Well, why is it? What are they eating? <laughs> and that's, that's the first thing you look at is how is this possible? What's their diet? Thinking that perhaps that's the key. It's a long life. I will give you the answer. They've come from a culture that had no blocks. In other words, they were born into a culture that did not have the instructions that they were born dirty. And they went from there. And on their own, some of them saw that they had indeed a grandness about them because they were part of the cosmos and they congratulated one another and worked together. And the result? Exceptionally long life. They didn't have the programs and the subconsciouses that you do that would tell them so many things are wrong with you that need fixing. So, dear ones, we speak to a culture and we know which ones we speak to. And we encourage you to understand that crossing the bridge and moving to that place is an invitation for you to see a grander truth, dropping the truths perhaps you already have, because they're not so grand. And as we've said before, and we'll say again, Part of this is not for you to rewrite who you are, but to add to who you are. For some of you know already of the grandness of God, of the love that is there. Now it's time to see the rest of the story. And tonight, we do something absolutely, totally, and completely different. The bridge is there as it always is. We're going to cross into that unknown territory that you don't know about but that is bigger than you are, that's eternal, that's you, it's your soul. We have, we're about to journey into the bigger you. Take my hand, let's go. Come across this bridge into that place, if you wish to call it that, that is a multidimensional area, and you look around, and you always see different things. Dear ones, this eternal soul of yours has no boundaries or barriers because it is not linear. It's part of the cosmos. Hard to display, explain to you. 
and display in your own minds how this would be working. You always want to have boundaries. Is it an island in the sky? You know, what are its, what is its size and all of that? And the answer is yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not definable in any language that you have. What is definable is that it's part of the creative source. It's eternal. It's always been, it always will. And it belongs to you as you are a human. And if you believe that you have been on other planets doing what you do here now, as some of you have, it was there then. It's the real you. It has the real name that God knows. We're about ready to go in the theater, but wait, but wait. There's another door. Not the one to the theater in the round. There's another door. And this one is a movie theater where you're going to see some films with some others. I want you to walk into this movie theater and see a large screen, empty seats. You're the first to arrive. I'm asking you to go down the aisle and sit midway. Be comfortable with all the seats there. There's not just one chair on the stage. This time, many seats, they're empty. Please, take your seat in the middle and get ready for a marvelous movie experience. As soon as you're seated, appearing next to you, as if by magic, are three guides. One is to your left. One is sitting on the right side. One is immediately in back of you. This is a metaphor, dear ones. It's a metaphor of understanding intuition and protection by your guides. They got you covered. No bad thing will happen to you because they are there. They take your hands and the theater begins to fill. Somehow with those you think you've seen, somehow you think you've known, you recognize some friends, you recognize others. People you've loved and lost takes your breath away for a moment. But this is a multidimensional place. This is your soul where all of those things can materialize. If all souls are eternal, that means everyone you loved and lost is still there. They have their soul. They're just not on the planet with the name they had. But they're in this theater just for a moment, looking just like you knew they looked. And they're taking their seats. They're not even greeting you. They're just anxious to see the movie. What a movie. What could that be? And when all are seated, some you recognize, some you don't, and some you think you might have in the past, and you're scratching your head, the lights go dim, and the movie begins. And the first thing you see is your birth. You arrive on the planet and immediately in the theater there is cheering and applause. <laughs> They're there to celebrate all of the good things that have happened to you in your life. They're there to celebrate the most joyful, funny times you've ever had with any of them. And it starts 
and you start to see some of the funny things that you did as a child that your parents just loved and laughed at and howled because you were so cute and so funny at that time with the animal, the time with your toy, the time where you just, you just look at you and go, this is the cutest thing I've ever seen. And it is uproarious. It is so fun. And you find yourself laughing and laughing and remembering and remembering. And everyone around you is having so much fun. Oh, then there were the parties that you had, the celebrations you had, even as you were growing up. Nothing on that screen was negative. It is a celebration only of the fun and the times that you told the right joke at the right time and they couldn't contain themselves and the entire theater is breaking up with laughter. Your guides, you can feel them chuckling and moving. It's a celebration of you and the most joyful you that exists. And it's here being done for a reason, dear ones, to show you, forget the bad stuff. There's so much good stuff in you. Forget all of the negative things that you ponder, that you worry about, that you are, you are always constantly drawn to. This one is different. This is the majesty of you on the screen. And it goes and it goes because there's so many funny things. So much laughter, so much joy. Tears in people's eyes because they're having so much fun watching your life and the beauty and all the things that made you laugh they're laughing with you I want you to stay because this doesn't stop the film continues because there's just more and more and more of it do you realize that joy is sacred do you realize that laughter is healing I want you to have a big smile on your face as you sit there with your guides and all those around you. Because this continues. And when you think it's over, and the circle of 12 music closes, I want you to take all of that home. And I want you to continue with the joy of the magnificence of who you are. Stay. And so it is. Master Yoda said, you must unlearn everything and start new. This is that time right now. It's true. We love everyone. Um, serendipity is alive, is what I have to say. Yes. I mean... Ramane, I've been dancing with this person a lot of years. Yet, it, what the the the, the uh, serendipity is expanding our view. Huh? I mean, talking about a pair of eyes that are about 
How many feet up above? Or how 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 high is? Twenty four, twenty two feet tall. Twenty four feet tall. That's yeah. never going to be forgotten. And uh, that's a Peshat warrior, uh, and also a peaceful one at the same time in one form, right? Honest. They were going to make sure that you were all right. Yeah, they got Sasquatch a red alert in a certain sense, and I think the Sasquatch people are also on red alert for the bigger plan to work out, right? Yeah. So we'll take a little break, everybody, for that plan to begin to simmer inside our hearts after all this uh, first portion. A serpent serendipity on BBS radio. So take a little break and then we'll take a look at the stars with our brother Richard and Kay Pacha and Tanya Gabrielle. And it moves us to be able to be here now. So we'll see you in a little while, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Anything you want to say, Rama? Ah, uh, keep believing in the magic. I just saw a really deep purple ray coming out of that energy that you just said. Yeah. Purple ray. So, all right. Namaste, everyone. See you in a short while. Hello, Richard. Are you right. there? Yep, I'm here. Oh, there you are. Oh, you're... warm up here. What? Okay. You've been breaking up for just a bit here. I just want to see if there's a good place for this sound. Yeah, I'm sitting, I'm sitting in my regular place. Rain, actually, the rain quit for a little bit. Uh... Let's check the weather map, and uh, it's pretty stormy here in the southeast right now. I see. Uh, but anyway. Greetings, uh, Commander. Yes, yes, yes. Moons in Gemini opposite the sun. Basically, the full moon is like right about now at the stack, so. Been under the influence for a full moon in Gemini. The sun is at the position of galactic center. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So there's a little disruption in the, in the magnetosphere. Yeah. I get to have a good look at which is where, which direction are we going now? Commander? 28 Sag is where Galactic Center is. Yeah, yeah, 27, I think. 26 to almost 27. Close enough for astrological work. Okay. Look, the sun, the sun is so bright, it blocks out everything, you know, 10 or 12 degrees either side of it. Right. Yeah, that's true. 
That's true. So, you know, after after sunset, you can see Venus, Saturn, and Jupiter if it's clear out. And and Venus is actually brighter than Scorpio than Jupiter. Yeah. Uh, but yes. anyway, I well, it, it it was nice earlier in the week, and then it clouded up, and it rained all day here. Anyway, um, Mars is in four Sag on one side, and Uranus is at twelve Taurus on the other side, and Venus is still conjunct Pluto, and everything else is. Just the way it was. Mercury is at nine, nine Capricorn tonight, and of course, that uh, Pluto and Venus are up there at uh, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine. It's at the end of the sign. So uh, let's go see what Papacha has on his mind this week. Okay, here we go. Thank you, Richard. It's- Powerful, anyway. The energies are so powerful. Yeah, we still got, we still got that Mars square Jupiter, which is not helpful at all. Mm. <laughs> oh, that. Oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's um. Uh, that's that's you know that's pretty pretty rough. Yeah, it's as, as you rank if you if you rank aspects that talk about war. Yes. Mars is going to be involved with squares and op- or oppositions one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Mars is, is not opposite anything, and the other side of the, of the solar system is, is empty of planets right now. But... Uh, so yeah, why wouldn't we, wanna, Richard? Why wouldn't we want to just take a look, take a little look at the neighborhood there? And you got Venus conjunct Pluto. I would say transformation through love would be applied to that situation there with Mars square Jupiter, wouldn't you? Yeah, no, they're not. No, they're operating independently. Oh, I know, but Venus, I just Venus thought, Pluto Venus Pluto working together is transformation. With love and affection, yes. Yes. And but that's Mars, in the neighborhood. It's not, it's not in the same neighborhood, but the energy is how uh, we might call it an, uh, astrologically an influence, isn't it? Well, sure. Yeah, so, uh, I was I just mean, saying, you, you know, mean, Mars. Yeah, well, I mean, like, okay, Sun, Sun, Sun Square Neptune is, is an influence also that's that's a square oh that's right you know well, so, that, uh, um, those, but that's you know, not a, that that's not a that's not a square that that leads to open conflict no that's good so that's that's a yes that's where it's one square can meet the other and you can see an outcome that would be positive Shine the light on Neptune, and and uh, and. Uh, well, yeah, 
especially it, it, this season of the celebration of Jesus's birthday. <laughs> yes, sir. All right, then. Here Talk we go. All right. Here we go. here addressing you from the Starship Enterprise. This is uh, star date uh, December uh, 15th of the year 2021 on planet Earth. <laughs> the, uh, the opening there that was uh, that was my front yard and my backyard right now freaking snowed last night <laughs> in Costa Rica. <laughs> it's been a while since I got the old snow, so it is another indoor. I will be heading down to uh, Tulum in January and Peru in February and warming up a little bit. But for right now, I want to share with you my screen a little more and, of course, the old virtual background. <laughs> Rather than just, like, read through the aspects like I usually do, you know, and, and give you what's happening this week. I'm going to show you the aspects. In uh, previous editions of the Pele Report, I uh, use the, I think it's a solar system scope program to give you the picture of the solar system. Uh, and now let's uh, turn that into a two-dimensional astrological chart to really see what's going on. And <clears throat> from a geocentric perspective, as if we're standing. So the Earth is the center when we use the uh, the tropical zodiac and the geocentric positions of, which is what I use in New Paradigm Astrology. Uh, there is heliocentric astrology. I mean, that's super cool too. Uh, but for mundane earthly events and What's going on in our lives? It's good to uh, use geocentric. So uh, I'm going to share my screen with you, and I'm going to end up with the solstice because next Tuesday the sun enters sign of Capricorn, and that is the longest night in the northern hemisphere, the longest day in the Southern Hemisphere, and in North and Southern Hemispheres, it signifies a change. A change, you know, of energy, a change in direction. So after next week, the days are going to start getting longer in the Northern Hemisphere, and the nights are going to start getting longer in the Southern Hemisphere. And we could go on and on and on. But very often, the uh, astrologer will use these points. The moment when that sun goes into the sign of Capricorn, we can draw up a, a, it's like a birth chart for the next three months until the spring equinox when the sun goes into the sign of Aries. We could draw up another chart 
that gives us an overview of the, of the next three months. So I did a whole video on the astrology of 2022 already that is available. There's a link uh, down below in the notes. Um, and I will be doing more, uh, longer talks, uh, coming up here. Uh, I want to look at some charts of different countries, but today I also want to look at and use this to, instead of just a weekly report, this, uh, you know, today's Pele report could be looked at more as a, a bit of a forecast over the next few months to come. So let me waste no more time. I will share my screen with you and let's see what's going on here. Yeah. There we are. So what we can see here is as you know, as I'm recording this, okay, on Wednesday, December 15th, Mars is conjunct south node of the moon. And that is where the orbit of the moon crosses the ecliptic or the orbit of the earth around the sun going south, going down. It is K2, the dragon's tail, and it has to do with the past, whereas the north node, 180 degrees opposite, is the dragon's head, Rahu, and has to do with the future. So here is Mars, the sword masculine quality, sword masculine energy, cutting cords with the past, and maybe even arguing or fighting or getting angry about <laughs> the past or Sagittarius has to do with the expansion of consciousness and understanding the truth, the purpose, the greater meaning of life and existence according to natural laws. So we could have fights or battles over who's right uh, who's in alignment with natural law? Who's out of alignment with natural law? Who is honest? Who is dishonest? A lot of this is, you know, the source of today's mantra. And this week's mantra is really beginning this whole Sagittarius. And, of course, the sun is also in the sign of Sagittarius. And, of course, then we also have Black Moon Lilith conjunct the north node of the moon over here in Gemini. And she wants to uncover the shadow, reveal the shadow, the unconscious intentions or motivations behind, okay, what is being spouted as truth. So we have this bit of a thing going on. And, and of course, as you'll see now, this is just today. <laughs> uh, everything goes on, boom. Uh, you could see, uh, actually, uh, you know, if, if we go back to the moon conjunct Uranus. So, you know, um, awakening. Anyway, so the moon moves on, you know, Thursday comes into a nice, beautiful trine from Taurus up here to Venus and Pluto in Capricorn. I talked about that Venus conjunct Pluto last week. She is still and if we watch a little closer, here she goes into S for stationary. Did you see that? I'm going backwards to Saturday. And on Sunday, 
She goes stationary, stops in her tracks. I mean, she doesn't stop in her tracks. It is an optical illusion from planet Earth. I showed you that before. And then R is retrograde. So by next Tuesday, December 21st, that Venus is going to be retrograde. And obviously in less than one degree away from Pluto. So she is in the underworld. Venus Anana is down in the underworld. <laughs> Remember when the Pluto came up and, you know, grabbed, right, Persephone and took her down into the underworld. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to talk, well, I mean, we can talk about this. Venus is values, money, resources, love. What we are attracted to, what we love, what we value, and beauty. Everyone's attracted to beauty. And so, you know, and this is a, Pluto is transformation. So we are transforming. Each and every one of us is going through a period right now, and this goes on, like I spoke of before. You know, Venus stays conjunct Pluto. There she goes retrograde, but even then she comes back to conjunct Pluto. Later on. But uh, what I want to get to the point here is a transformation of values and so many things. I could talk for an hour on Venus conjunct Pluto, but this is a descent which can be a loss of finances, a loss of value, a loss of I am no longer attracted to this or I no longer want to do this for money or I no longer, uh, you know, find this authority figure, Capricorn, or this powerful person attractive. <laughs> you may be changing channels <laughs> as Venus comes around in conjunct Pluto. It's also a power grab. This can be, and this is what's really big about this particular time period. Let's just go forward to, boom, there we have it, right? The sun enters Capricorn. This is an externalization, okay, of light, of power, of authority. Cancer is the inner child, the inner emotional realm, the past, uh, how we, how we really support, nurture ourselves emotionally in order to feel secure. It's, it has to do more with the mom. And in the old astrology books, Capricorn in the 10th house had more to do with dad, the boundaries, the laws, the rules, the consequences, and external authority figures, mm. presidents, uh, dictators, uh, you know, billionaires, uh, the Pope, uh, you know, religious figures, corporate monsters, whoever is in charge. So... This energy of the sun entering Capricorn, very interesting to have, you know, Venus and Pluto. And, of course, Mercury is coming up to join it. And I spoke about how uh, in in uh, what March and April, Mars comes up and joins. And we have a Venus-Mars-Pluto conjunction. So here we're just really talking about what I consider to be a power grab 
This is a power play. Yep. This is external authority figures trying to take control of all the money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and whether it is, you know, uh, crypto or pharmaceutical companies or uh, governments or whoever it is, this is a this is a massive power grab where I would say each and every one of us needs to be very awake and aware to protect and stand for mm-hmm. our rights, our truth, our dignity, our autonomy, so that we are not dominated, controlled, driven ruthlessly, and of course have all our money taken away and the economy collapse. We can have a, this is a very, this is a very serious uh, time period for our economy. And I say that also because what? Look at this. Uranus at 11 degrees 08 minutes. Saturn at 10.52. Keep your eyes on them. Here we go. By Christmas, we have the third Saturn square Uranus. The first one came around in February, February 18th. Then they went retrograde and came back in an exact square last June. And this is the third and final square, the day, you know, before Christmas, Christmas Eve, Saturn square Uranus. The past in tension, okay, a crisis of consciousness with the future. This is highly unstable. And this is, you know, highly disruptive. So Uranus is saying that we are having a revolution, okay, in the realm of Taurus and technology and financial, uh, you know, crypto and uh, just the how we survive. And even uh, this has to do with Neuralink and, you know, uh, in, in Surviving even better or becoming superhuman or becoming, you know, techno cyborgs. Uh, you know, the, the Taurus is, you know, my physical earthly body and survival on this planet. And Uranus is spending seven years in here. But I want to, I want to focus this a little more because I could go on about everything, but. You know, and Saturn up here in Aquarius, again, this is social distancing. This is external authority figures, laws, rules, boundaries, and limits around our friendships, around who we hang around with, around, uh, you know, uh, our vision of the future is being, you know, conf- you know, conforms, consolidated, restructured. So Saturn spends two and a half years here in the sign of Aquarius, but this square, is that a lot of stuff that began last February is culminating now in December. So this is where we're getting a lot of the consequences and a lot of the results, okay? And, you know, the, the, the statistics are in and the studies are in, and now, you know, laws and rules and boundaries are going to be made, and, you know, certain people are going to not go along with it. Certain people are going to rebel and want to revolt against these imposed laws, rules, and restrictions and boundaries. I mean, I just got the news here uh, today in the United States here that, uh, you know, Fauci uh, went on, you know, online and is uh, announcing that uh, there should be uh, mandatory vaccination. 
here in, uh, in the in the United States. And and this is like, a, I mean, how perfect is the timing of you know this Mars on the south node of the moon? And then of course coming into what the full moon, the full moon right here. One more, thank you. Twenty-seven degrees to twenty-seven degrees. So the moon is building. It's called waxing. It's getting brighter and bigger and stronger. And whoa, super powerful full moon. And it's a powerful Sabian symbol that I have to share with you. It is the twenty-eighth degree of Gemini. Is where we have the full moon. This. This week, right? Through bankruptcy, society gives to an overburdened individual the opportunity to begin again. <laughs> I gotta stop it. <laughs> Can you believe this? <laughs> this is like, wow. whoa, whoa. Birth chart for the next three months coming up shortly. <clears throat> Right, uh, right with this full moon as the overreaching energy. The keynote is a release from unbearable pressures, freeing one for new tasks. This symbol can easily be misinterpreted. For a while, it obviously has a connotation of failure. It nevertheless depicts a particular state of the complex relationship of an individual to his community. The bankruptcy proceedings mentioned here should not be construed as referring to a fraudulent type of bankruptcy. At least in the United States, bankruptcy does not imply a moral condemnation. Rather, it means that individual failure cannot be separated from the health of the community. The special nature of the whole is implied in the failure of the part to perform adequately under particularly harsh economic conditions. A society which enthrones the principles of ruthless competition must also develop mechanisms to exteriorize the principle of compassion. The latter was at first emphasized by Northern Buddhism and soon after by Christianity. The concept of atonement is directly related to that of release from unbearable economic pressures into bankruptcy. To me, this has many ramifications that we could go on and on and on. You may want to rewind, write that down, listen to it, <laughs> download the Sabian symbols from the resources tab on my website. <laughs> And access all of the Sabian symbols anytime that you want and read through that and really contemplate that this is a 
You know, like we are being constricted. Saturn is boundaries, constriction, and contraction. And you have contractions. A mother has contractions, right? You know, just prior to birth. And there is a release for new activity. So we want to really understand, okay, what this release is about and how it is achieved and what our role as individuals plays within society and the evolution of society as reflecting the evolution of its individual participants, right? So let me go back and uh, share that screen again because I wanted to give you more of the astrology of this instead of me just talking at you. So I wanted to show, of course, now that Venus is stationary and Venus goes retrograde. There, Venus goes retrograde at the same time as what? Chiron. And here we have, let's go back a little bit here. You see, Mercury in square to Chiron, eight degrees to eight degrees. That's on Sunday. It's exact, but it goes on all week, right? And Chiron stations to go retrograde and will be going retrograde for like the next six months or so. So it's at eight degrees now. It's going to go all the way back down. In the meantime, boom, sun goes into Capricorn. So these were kind of, you know, really most of the, Aspects that I wanted to show and I wanted to just use this chart as really, um, the birth chart, right? For the next three months. Here we have the sun at zero, zero, zero degrees. And look at sun is in opposition to black moon Lilith and I've often, you know, I do whole workshops. There's, uh, you know, videos and I've done weekends on Black Moon uh, Lilith, you know, and she is a shadow figure. And I view her as basically aspects and elements of ourselves that our parents, teachers, and preachers didn't like, don't want, and suppress. And therefore, we, they go into shadow. We want to please our, our elders and please our caretakers. So we try not to show that part of ourselves, even though it is very often our deepest truth. So here, this is Black Moon Lilith in Gemini. Gemini is youthful, child curiosity, fun, variety, this curiosity that wants to study, learn, travel, uh, move, uh, you know, uh, you know, read, uh, share uh, information, uh, debate, everything Gemini. Networking, uh, you know, uncensored uh, internet, uh, you know, all this, all the telegram and bit shoot and rumble and <laughs> all the comings and goings and, and 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 it's like okay well the authorities are saying no they're censoring and they're you know, and they're controlling the dialogue and there's misinformation and there's lies 
Yeah. You know, lies being perpetrated upon us. So yes, we have, and we're going to be dealing, you know, with these next three months where there is going to be, you know, exposure of, and there already has been, but there's going to be more. There's going to be debate. There's going to be arguing. There's going to be, you know, secrets emerging and there's going to be, you know, battling, even battling and fighting over you know, what is truth and what is lies and what is, uh, you know, what is my rights? And this is this uh, Mercury squaring Chiron also. Chiron in Aries, this wounded masculine, this wounded warrior. Is that I, you know, my, my ability to assert, to get my will, my dignity, my right to exist and my right to be independent is being wounded, crushed, stepped on in order that I may heal, strengthen, and understand my own individual power better than it was before. Let's not forget, Chiron is a crisis, but it is a healing crisis that when we emerge out of that crisis, we are not only healed, but we are wise teacher healers of those same ills and wounds ourselves. Unfortunately, Chiron does not uh, complete that full healing process uh, until 2025 and 2026. Oh my God. So we still are in a bit of a crisis around independence, around sovereignty, around freedom. I mean, you can hear, you know, Chiron and Aries and Uranus and Taurus is this battle cry for the right to choose, the right to travel, the right to decide, you know, what's right for me and my children and my family and my future. And blah, blah, blah. You know, this is, this is, you know, Chiron and Aries and Uranus and Taurus really charging up, charging out. And it's, it's against these forces of Pluto, the Capricorn is square Aries. External authority is square individual sovereignty. And the good of the many and the, you know, the conscious of the community. It's like, you know, you should do this for everybody else. Is this is the very uh, Saturn is guilt, <laughs> so you know the guilt card can be getting played here extensively, particularly like I say right now, but also through these next three months as the sun continues to move one month, two months, three months until we begin a new equinox point, and we can draw up another chart for that time. Yeah. So these are some of the energies that are, you know, very strongly uh, active for us. Like I say, not only this week, but throughout these next coming months. The mantra for today, I have really, you know, it's just, you know, as a guardian of the truth, I know it and speak it and see. When lies are used to take away freedom, choice, and autonomy. And we see this in the chart. That's why the mantra that I, uh, the mantra that I 
come, that comes in every week is from the astrology of the now, right? Sagittarius has to do with truth. It also has to do with my right brain intuitive capacity to know the truth. So as a guardian of the truth, Mars is the guardian of the truth. As the guardian of the truth, right? I know it and speak it. It's the North Node in Gemini, Lilith in Gemini. And see, of course, Uranus has to, and Mercury both have to do with sight. Mercury squaring Chiron, when lies are used to take away honesty and dishonesty, lies and truth is all this Sagittarius Gemini axis, okay, of propaganda, of misinformation, of the bending and use of science, in quotes, for individual personal ends, right? So, you know, I, I, I can see, right? And when lies are used to take away freedom, this is Chiron in Aries, has to do with freedom and choice and autonomy. So, I'll just give you a little sense of, and of course, we could go on and on. I, I, I will go on and on. You can see Jupiter is in square to the moon's nodes. But that's not going to be for a little while longer. You can see that. I mean, I'll be talking a lot about when the nodes go into Scorpio Taurus. Okay. But, um, yeah, Jupiter squaring the nodes. Anyway, I'm not even going to. Jupiter was, has been square the nodes this year already and it's square now, but. That is probably good uh, for this week, a good sense uh, that, yes, there may be some proclamations. There may be mandates. We're going to get news. News is Gemini. <laughs> okay, and this Jupiter, Saturn, and Aquarius, okay, is the world news and things happening down under and over in Europe and, you know, down in Argentina and up here in the United States, over in Mexico. I mean, there's different things going on all over the place that, it behooves each and every one of us to be aware that there is a planetary consciousness emerging and what's happening in one part of the world in China and Russia and Africa is also kind of affecting and reflecting as we kind of come into a new global order. And lastly, let's not forget, this new global order is the new paradigm. It is the new 2,000-year age of Aquarius. And we are going through birth. And birth can be painful, chaotic. And we are in a chaotic, painful period that is part of a longer bigger process and if we think of like uh, Hitler and the war that was you know four five six years we've got 
you know, this Chiron and Uranus, you know, five, six, seven years going through Aries and Taurus. Well, we were only, you know, close to halfway through some of these transits. So, um, just want to, you know, keep in mind that, um, it's really necessary during this time to maintain our inner strength, willpower, determination, and to speak out our truth and our needs and what we want for our children and our future and not be, you know, uh, coerced or controlled or manipulated through lies and propaganda. I just got my book by Paul Levy the uh, on Wendico. Just got released December 14th. I should give a little picture of that one. Just got it delivered today. So i find out a little bit more about this collective psychosis called Wetico and uh, be sharing that with you in the weeks to come. One last time, the mantra for today. As a guardian of the truth, I know it and speak it and see. When <clears throat> lies are used to take away freedom, choice, and autonomy. Namaste. Aloha. So much love. Richard, I, you're, you must be muted because I can't hear you. Can you hear me? Richard? Richard? I heard somebody breathe. <laughs> Richard? Um, I'm... Well... Maybe you can try again, Don, just to be sure everything's okay. And we'll go on. We'll do Tanya Gabrielle. Yeah, I've been trying. He's got a oh. messaging answering service on. Oh, I, saw, I hope everything's okay. That's not normal. That's the first time. Oh, no. I think it's highly normal. What? <laughs> oh. So I'll I'll let you know when he comes back in. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Here we go. Here we go. Blaze the fire. Hello there, it's Tanya Gabrielle Wealth, astrologist. Welcome to Star Codes, where every week we look at an important event in the stars, in the numbers, and receive insights on how to digest, assimilate, and learn and heal from the incredible cosmic events in play right now. And this week we're going to cover the Gemini full moon with the sun in Sagittarius 
happening on December 18th and 19th. So it'll be the 18th in the Americas. It'll be 11.35 p.m. Eastern and 8.35 p.m. Pacific on the 18th of December. And then universal time, this Gemini full moon happens on December 19th at 4.35 a.m. That would be London. So you don't have to be a Gemini or Sagittarius to benefit from this forecast. Somewhere in your astrology birth chart, this full moon is taking place with the sun at 27 degrees Sagittarius and the moon at 27 degrees in Gemini. Now, Gemini is the sign of communication, of the messenger. Mercury is called the winged messenger by the ancient Greeks. And Gemini covers facts and anything that's practical knowledge, media, communication, words, the lower mind that translates how to navigate life on earth. And since Gemini is ruled by Mercury and governs motion and activity and the ability to communicate and connect with others, writing, speaking, you'll be asked during this time to look at how you assimilate information, assimilate ideas, and connect with others through conversation. So the way you use language, for example, will really be highlighted. And Gemini is always filled with curiosity. Gemini wants to explore. And with Gemini, which represents the twins, you're invited to experience two sides of the same coin. So not losing sense of the whole while embracing both the feminine and masculine, the yin and yang. So not feeling separate and closing one off in favor of the other, which creates an imbalance. And that's when you transcend duality, which our life, of course, on earth has duality everywhere, right? We have light and dark, left and right, on and on and on. But Gemini is one of those signs that helps us to acknowledge the duality through the twins and then transcend it. So when we engage in any vibration, we use both our masculine and feminine states of being. Because when you align with a vibration, you activate a pulse, you activate a frequency. And when you activate that frequency, meaning you take action, you are in a masculine state. Then you move into a feminine state where you observe through observation how your action is bringing feedback to you. So you observe, you, and Gemini is all about observation, right? Observing closely. And you're using Mercury to do that, right? So the ruling planet of Gemini is helping you recognize that inner push and pull of the feminine and masculine working together. And we'll go more into that in a moment. First, Mercury rules this full moon. The sun is in Sagittarius, so Jupiter rules the sun part of the full moon. And Sagittarius is the archer. It governs truth, wisdom, law and justice, expansion, joy, feeling optimistic, taking advantage of opportunity, expanding your reach, going beyond the horizon. So this is a very important full moon because it's the final lunation of 2021 
And it happens at 27 degrees Sagittarius, where the sun will be, and 27 degrees Gemini, of course. But 27 degrees Sagittarius is a very important point because the galactic center, which is between around 24 and 27 Sag, is activated. And galactic center is the point around which our whole Milky Way galaxy turns. So it's like this massive vortex in the middle of the galaxy and it's spinning and it is associated or directed towards 27 or 24 to 27 degrees Sagittarius. So this is a very important moment because it's like we're pointing directly to the center of a massive black hole, which is the womb of our Milky Way galaxy. And black holes are just energy vortexes. So again, we're dealing with energy. They're bursting with massive potential, massive power, massive creation. And, you know, there's so much going on during this full moon. For example, speaking of power, we have Venus stationing retrograde on December 19th, so right during this full moon, while Venus is merged, conjunct Pluto, and Pluto governs power and disempowerment or empowerment, right? So this is a big theme around this time. The other big transit is that the moon will be trying to Jupiter. This is so beautiful, so gorgeous. Jupiter is the ruler of Sagittarius where the sun is during this full moon. So we have this incredibly positive, fortunate energy that is asking us to explore and move out of bounds, right? Just like Pluto explores the truth and the truth sets you free and that empowers you, Jupiter wants to just explore beyond horizons. And so that's why it governs long distance travel. So this gorgeous triangle with the moon, the trine with the moon, the sextile with the sun creates this triangle of incredible celebration, gratitude, joy, and it's lovely timing because it happens literally right before our holidays begin for a lot of us. So it's expanding that ability to communicate in a joyful way, to be grateful for everyone and everything in your life. And to focus in a very high vibrational way, in a, in an optimistic way on what you're communicating. So making sure that it's high vibrational. And if you don't have anything high vibrational to share, to not share anything at all, keep it to yourself because Jupiter will expand it and Pluto will dive straight to the core of the essence of the matter. Now, when Pluto and Venus come together, this conjunction, while Venus is stationing retrograde, I mean, Venus is basically at a standstill during this conjunction. So Venus is basically conjunct Pluto throughout December. And so this is a very powerful moment because there is a quincunx, meaning the moon will be 150 degrees pointing to Pluto and Venus. And this is important because it, it brings to light how pleasure and passion, pleasure and passion are going to be big themes. Like, are you feeling pleasure in your life? Are you feeling consistent, passionate engagement in your life? Venus's presence is about beauty and Venus 
loves for you to explore sensuality that gives you pleasure. And Venus governs abundance and financial flow. And Pluto being about power and passion, when they come together, especially while Venus is stationing, so when a planet stations, meaning they're ch it's changing direction, it's at its most powerful. So this is really going to ramp up how we feel and really being honest about that as well. And Jupiter is the planet that really governs being honest, right? Jupiter is about integrity. And so this is a very big moment, not just for us personally, but for humanity in general. There could be things that come to light in a big way regarding those in power or those who are uh, financially uh, engaged in some way. So there could be news about just anything that has to do with power, with finances, with pleasure, with sexuality, because Pluto is the ruler of Scorpio, governs sexuality. And when we consider that December in 2021 is an eight universal month, which is the number of leadership and power and courage, there's just a really intense vortex of energy, just like the galactic center that's being pointed to by the 27 degrees Sagittarius sun during this full moon, there's this vortex of very deep, passionate energy that's being activated. Now, there are two aspects that involve Mercury, and those are important during this full moon because Mercury rules Gemini. And Mercury is square to Chiron, and Mercury is trying to Uranus. Now, the square to Chiron really... It activates an urge to make a difference in the world. So you want to take that nervous energy again of exploration to express something healing instead. So through your words, through your writing, you can let go of frustration and overwhelm and you can put this energy to use by making a difference in some way. So it's an invitation to take control of situations that could be anxiety inducing and instead make a powerful choice to use your intuition, which is very activated by this square and transmute that any stress that you feel, any challenges into divine guidance. And it will be the, the most high vibrational way of expressing this square with Mercury. Now, the other transit that Mercury makes is trying to Uranus. And this is the higher and lower mind. Mercury, the lower, Uranus, the higher mind, coming together in a gorgeous trine. So this gives us incredible powers of intuition, observation, clarity. You just have a wonderful mental energy, intuitive energy. It speeds up your ability to speak, to communicate, to think, to accept new ideas. It's very, very exciting. And it opens you up. And it allows you to explore energy that is galactic. And make it practical. So the intuition becoming really realistic and practical. It's wonderful, wonderful energy. And then Mars is trying to Chiron at this time as well. So this very much heals and invigorates. Mars brings energy. Chiron brings healing. And Mars is in Sagittarius at this point. Mars loves being in Sagittarius. It's a fire sign and Mars is a fire planet. So this is very good for energy um, just allowing yourself to feel positive energy flow. There's a natural courageousness when Mars 
goes into this fire sign of Sagittarius, remember that the sun is in Sagittarius pointing at galactic center. There's so much going on that's tying this all together in a very positive way. So Mars is taking the initiative in, so Mars is taking the initiative in Sagittarius, trying to Chiron, which taps into your natural ability to heal yourself. And then on December 24th, a few days after the full moon, Saturn will be square to Uranus. And this is a very important moment. It's the final exact square between these two planets, though they will be in close proximity to each other throughout 2022, especially in September and October of next year. But so we will con- continue to explore that theme of Saturn square Uranus, but it's coming together on Christmas Eve, the 24th. And what it is bringing into the forefront is looking at our boundaries and freedom, right? This is about responsibility and liberation. So sometimes it feels like these two frequencies are at odds with each other. Like how can we have boundaries and feel free? Well, it's a balance. We need to not feel like there is no order whatsoever. There is divine order. At the same time, we can't be held back from having freedom to express ourselves. So it's a very interesting time when we are pursuing what allows us to feel liberated, to feel joyful, to let joy be our guide in all things, to have a meditative grounding practice, which is Saturn, to ground the energy that calms this inner tension with the square. And this is really the time to merge freedom with responsibility. So being responsible for feeling free. And you can harmonize these two so you don't have this internal tension. This is really important because it's the third meeting of the two planets, the final one, even though they're coming close to each other next year, this is exactitude. So the universe is setting up situations that allow you to explore these themes. And the universe actually will bring you the form that will allow you to have the greatest soul growth and be of the greatest service. And that goes for every situation in your life. So if something isn't showing up in a form that you're looking for, that you would like to have happen, then trust that the universe is supporting you. Trust is a big part of the sun in Sagittarius. Trust the universe is supporting you, even though it may not seem so at the time. It could just be that you need to make some tweaks, right? Or maybe vibrationally, you may be asking for something that is very high and you're not a vibrational match yet. So it doesn't mean you won't be. It's just right now. So the energy that you are emitting, the vibration you pulse out, that is getting reflected back to you. And this is, again, going to the twins, the feminine and masculine state of being. So Gemini is helping you to observe what is being reflected back, really being that eagle-eyed observer, right? So the observation itself is you're receiving something. You're receiving info back. You are able to course correct based on what you're observing. And in observing what is showing up in your life, you then notice, well, this is the frequency I was asking for. 
And now you have to step out and you've got to connect. You've got to welcome. You've got to greet that frequency. That's the masculine and it's the acting on it, right? So if you then ask for something like a new job or a different position in your work or going out with someone or a new opportunity, you have to, when that opportunity shows up at your doorstep, accept the invitation. So this is really the dance between the divine feminine and sacred masculine that is very much in play right now. And you're constantly going through this cycle throughout the day. So keep in mind, if you're too much on one side of this cycle, meaning too feminine or too masculine, then this cycle stops or it gets stuck and then frustration arises. So being too feminine would mean you're fantasizing about something, but you're actually not willing to commit to it. Being too masculine is that you're not in the divine flow. You're not observing. So both are going to be challenging if you are not balanced in that way. So it's important always to come back to the midpoint, the still point, and reset the energy. And that's why the 27 degrees sun pointing at galactic center is a reset. It's a reset of energy, and it's extremely powerful. And 27 degrees, to begin with, in numerology, it is, I call it the Gandhi number, because it represents wise, compassionate leadership. So it literally is about unconditional love, letting go all the time. So it is about that flow. The 27 degrees where the sun and the moon are and the sun pointing to galactic center is literally that reset that brings us back to the midpoint, the still point. It, it resets the energy. It's a, it's a symbol of that to remind us to do that throughout the day, to reset and never judge ourselves because we can always reset energy. We don't want to blame, judge, feel guilty, right? We don't want to go there because that is a waste of, of energy. It's, it, it doesn't help anything, right? So with every breath you take, you are resetting your vibration. And so now with Jupiter trying to the moon and sextile to the sun, you're exploring energy. You're in particular exploring joy. And as you explore your reality, remember that reality is not static. It is fluid. So you can actually course correct at any time. And that's pressing the reset button. So if you take a step and you're unsure right about this step that you just took, then you want to recreate that and explore it more deeply and then you'll either relish taking that step because you really explored it or you'll notice that it wasn't quite what you're looking for and at which point you take a new step and you make a change and that change changes your beliefs about the experience that you just had but that's because you're pressing the reset button and not judging not going back and saying i shouldn't have done that or that was a mistake no you just change the part of what you want to create for yourself. And you always know that life is an exploration. You are an intrepid explorer. That's why you're here on earth. And you're just exploring different frequencies. You're not 
judging what you're exploring. There's no right or wrong frequency. There's just the act of exploring itself. Gemini loves to explore. Sagittarius loves to explore. So, you know, Gemini actually governs short distance travel and Sagittarius where the sun is governs long distance travel. So they are, you know, they're, they're signs that are mutable. They govern movement. They're not fixed. They're not sitting still. So what you may perceive as a failure is when the expectation of the moment doesn't match your actual vibrational experience. That's what we call a failure, right? So we have expectations that don't match the vibrational experience that we're having. So you never really fail. It's just that having the expectation is causing you those issues. So let go of the expectation. The expectation itself is only based on the past. It's not being present. So your experience of the moment will never match an expectation. It can't because the expectation was created before the experience. So you need to let it go, right? Let go of the attachment to what you want to create. Simply work with the frequency of what you want to create instead of the the form that you want it to take. This is really the key. The frequency meaning joyful experience, abundance, love, peace. The frequency is the key. That's the music. That's what you tune your instrument to. You can't plan ahead how you're going to sound, how you're going to sing. You can just tune your instrument, find the frequency. So this is what is creating this expansive exploration, this experience of joy. And that's... I'll have to finish it later because it's just what time it is. It's time to go to the conference. It's uh, it's going to be a powerful last, what, three more minutes, Rama? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, Richard is uh, in in a safe place, and we are ready to go to the conference call, Rama. Uh, the number is um, seven one two. Uh, <laughs> just I'm kind of lost because I was listening to. Seven two zero seven one six seven three zero one, and the pin code is three five three eight six three pound. Okay, we will see you there, and then we'll come back here at the top of the next hour. And this is the place to be with BBS Radio Station Two, uh, from here to the galaxy and the universe. And see you on the conference. Namaste. Oh my. Are we finished with that maestro music, Rama? Yeah. So let's finish Tanya. Got three minutes or something to back it up for a minute or two. Turn it back. causing you those issues. So let go of the expectation. The expectation itself is only based on the past. It's not being present. So your experience of the moment will never match an expectation. It can't because 
the expectation was created before the experience. So you need to let it go, right? Let go of the attachment to what you want to create. Simply work with the frequency of what you want to create instead of the, the form that you want it to take. This is really the key. The frequency meaning joyful experience, abundance, love, peace. The frequency is the key. That's the music. That's what you tune your instrument to. You can't plan ahead how you're going to sound, how you're going to sing. You can just tune your instrument, find the frequency. So this is what is creating this expansive exploration, this experience of joy. And that's what Jupiter is bringing with this gorgeous trine to the moon, Jupiter, the ruler of Sagittarius, opposite Gemini. And so you want to now explore every experience that you have with expansiveness, with an open heart, with joy, and just let go of your expectations of what it should be, could be. All of that is now over. We are moving into a new way of life without expectation. It is just free, right? We are not judging. We're not comparing, competing. So this is the new world we're moving into. So the sun facing galactic center, press that reset button in your life. Remember to do that. Enjoy this gorgeous, gorgeous full moon. And remember, you have a star code as well. When you were born, that very moment set off an incredible set of frequencies that describe who you are. That is your star code. You have your destiny number, your life purpose. You have your birthday, your birth name, your astrology code, and you can discover your birth code in a free masterclass that I created for you at starcodeclass.com. If you haven't watched it yet, go now and have a look at it because not only will you understand your own code, your own frequencies, but those of others, your talents, your gifts. And this way you won't judge people because everybody is unique. Everybody has their own way of expressing joy. So I hope you enjoy that free masterclass at starcodeclass.com. Have a beautiful week, a beautiful full moon in Gemini. And I'll see you in next week's Star Codes podcast. Bye-bye for now. <laughs> so should I just go right ahead and what do we want to do? We want to do another... Uh, another piece. How's that? Um, I was going to do transcending limits of creation. Oh, wait a minute. I got to know which one that is. Matthias. Oh, Matthias. Okay. Well, if you got it there, you want to read it? Probably? Yeah, it'll help us understand kind Just, of you gotta what's cut going as best on. as you can. You can turn your maybe your machine and everything so that they can hear you. As best as possible there. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Tell us. Oh, transcending limits of creation. How did a conflict near Sirius uncover a plan to harvest energy from Orion? Moi? Hmm. Uh-huh. Host and guide Matthias De Stefano reminds us that we are bound 
yet guided by the patterns of the sixth dimension. And being free of these patterns allows a species to transcend the shapes of time and space. According to Matthias, a group of Pleiadians used this knowledge and devised a plan with a species from Draco to harness energy from the portal of Orion. With a civil war brewing in Orion and the undercover threat of destroying the main portal, Matthias illuminates the Confederation's greenhouse protection plan, the power of human consciousness throughout the galaxy, and how conflicts like the Orion War are the keys toward the creation of conscious civilizations, plural, in worlds like ours. All right, this is 27 minutes. Let's do this. near Sears and cover a plan to harness energy from Orion's portal. I am your host and guide, Matthias Stefano. In this episode, we will uncover the events that led to the war of Orion's portal. Everything that exists, every reality in every dimension and every world, every species and every being, is a projection of the distortion in the sixth dimension. The sixth dimension is like the filter of the core of the reality, the spark, the seed that creates everything. And these mirrors that creates all these differences are the ones that through the polarity of a positive and negative shapes the, the ideas and shapes the structures of our realities. So from there, after the sixth dimension, the idea of races and beings fighting each other to reach the truth is something normal. Through the unconscious way of evolution, this fight is about food. This fight is about surviving. Fear, hunger are the main emotions that push us towards the light or the darkness. And they try to improve by eating other beings, by using the energy of other beings, it's something that normally goes on and creates the improvement of matter. So creates different species, different races that could be adapted to different environments. Through the process of consciousness, the, 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 the fight is different. The fight is about who of all of these species are able to reach the main source of energy to create its own universe. When you become conscious and you realize that everything that exists, every reality that you are in is like a jail, like a structure 
that you are trapped in, that you cannot transform yourself, that you are all the time bounded and and guided by the patterns that created you at the first time, that you are submitted to time and space and you cannot modify that, then you start to find the path so you can get freedom. Being free from these patterns means to let all this creation behind and try to transform everything, to transcend the shapes of time and space. So once you in unconscious reach to get every energy from the space, the next stage you will try to achieve is to handle time. We have to remember that time and space are exactly the same, but in different levels. Time is the streams that connect everything, and space is the conjunction of all these streams being pressed by gravity. So the only truth has two ways of being seen. The one that is that is really tight, that is really whole, which is the space, is the one that has all these structures that that doesn't allow us to go outside the system, what we call the matrix. And this matrix that holds us all in these structures of geometry are all the patterns that we keep in our blood from the history of our ancestors, of the animals and plants that inherit their information through thousands of years of evolution. And then when we try to handle time, it's like taking by ourselves the cords, the tie that are bounding all the gravity around. So for the beings of consciousness, trying to be free of time is to reach the way in which they can go through every dimension and to rule its own universe. When you can handle time and space, you can create your own reality. You can be your own God. And that is why some species that reach the conscience, they were trying to reach all the sources of energy capable to transform themselves in a new universe. Because of the pattern of the sixth dimension, every being in different aspects of the universe were trying to build a universe through its own image of what the universe was. So for everyone, the universe is something different. As for us, we have many religions, many sciences, many cultures that try to understand how the universe works. So imagine every species in every planet having a different way to understand how the universe works. This is how we the species of the conscious world start to create the idea of this evolutionary path towards the self. And even though some of us had a different idea of what was the self, we all agree that if we work together, we could reach the same goal. This is for us like the UN. Even if every country think different and they even are against each other, the organization that unites every nation, it's a place where you can art, discuss, or 
talk about your own ideas and try to solve the problems in a table and not in a war. There are many beings in the Confederation that works for the process of peace. But the process of peace is not like here, like trying to speak with each one of the species. The process of peace is to break, to bring harmony in the vibration of every planet. And because they speak telepathically, they can just talk with the species through time and space without the need to travel to those planets. That's why for physical forms, we had some kind of parliament where some beings were able to reunite and discuss about the things. But because each one of us has such a different way of thinking, yes. the problems in the communications were very big. So that's why we needed species like vegan people that were in the middle of the dimensions so they could speak with every one of them. So a decision that for a species would take a thousand years and for other species would take like a few minutes, they would be able to speak with them for a thousand years and just a few minutes in the same time. The species over the fourth dimension and the ones that live through the fifth dimension, time is not a problem, but they need space to understand their divine. So they need species to be alive in the third dimensional realities as others need them to be alive in the fifth dimension. This is the case of the Pleiadian people. They are one of the only species related to our system that is able not only to talk with the species in evolution in the past, but also in the future. Pleiadian people can see and experience the future, but they cannot live it. They cannot be transforming their reality. They can just see it and feel it. So when they saw the possibilities they had in, the, in time, they needed matter to be their own creators of realities. As I said before, they needed space and species alive so they could create their own reality through the sixth dimension. In order to achieve the sixth dimension, the things in the fifth dimension needs to go through the third dimension. Three, six, nine are the pattern to go to the divine through the matter. And that is why the fifth dimension needs us to handle the time and space structure. Because of this, what happened was some Pleiadians, not all of them, a few of them, decided to use the three-dimensional worlds as a tool to jump into the sixth dimension. But in order to do that, they needed to be alive in the third dimension and they needed to densify all the structure of the fifth dimension. Because they were not able to go through the portals of the sixth and the third dimension, they needed species that were living in the third dimension, that were able to live in the darkness, and that they were able to modify the structures in the reality so they could be born in these dimensions. So they reached some species that they were aware of how to evolve 
in these realities. They were aware of how to survive in material worlds. And these would be the people that we call the Draconians. The Draconians are people from the Draco constellation. They have these civilizations that accomplish to survive in the most horrible environments. These environments allow them to handle the energy of the planets. So for the Pleiadian people to rule the third dimension and to help to download information from the fifth dimension into the third one, they needed these people to bring the information in between the third and the sixth dimension so they could download the main patterns to transform realities in this dimension. But the main patterns were taken care of by the biggest portals in our galaxy, and that would be Orion's portal. Pleiadian people was able to talk with all the beings that were trying to design the ideas and the concepts of the fifth dimension. And what they saw in the future is that they could rule and they can transform these third-dimensional realities into other levels of consciousness creating its own universe. Even if it, if our goals were, were to create different universe, the problem was to create different universe from ideas that are not bounded with the core. So that would be a distortion, and that distortion could create a black hole swallowing every reality and destroying everything that was created. So that's why nobody could just open a portal. They have to become the portals in the path through every dimension. Oh. That is why the Pleiadian people use the Draconian people to go to the Orion's portal and start to take the energy from them so they could open by themselves the portal in between the dimensions. There was a species that into dimensions from Andromeda system to the Milky Way system, they were the ones taking care of these communications in between time and space with this energy that we call Protikta on Earth These people were called the Trevet for us. And the Trevet were these big species, like five meters tall, with horns in their heads and all the bodies cover the Trevet, were taking care of the energy that can open the portals between the third and the sixth dimension. This magnetical energy and frequency pattern that they had created with the Merkaba was a gift, a tool that they were delivering to different species, treating them like what we could imagine as uh, stargates. The stargates that they were creating were so people from different dimensions could go to the core of reality and appear in other reality in other galaxy. So they were the keepers of this information, of this of this tool in a physical way. And what the draconian people had to do was to take the power of this energy so they could open the portals in between dimensions. In order to do that, they needed a lot of energy. That's why Draco people took the lead of an invasion of some worlds to take the minerals that could resonate and vibrate in different regions so they could build this machine 
to create a big vibration to open the portal and to swallow the energy from Orion's portal. And that's why they took this species that we in Sirius call Yakopti. Yakopti were like the hunters of this energy, of these materials. The minerals that some planets had were useful to create this uh, structure, this material to reflect every energy of the suns of Orion and create this pattern of energy opening the portal towards the Protecta so they could bring this energy and to transform the realities of the sixth dimension into the third dimension. What they did was to invade this planet and one of those planets were the one I was living in, Aimpa. Aimpa was part of the confederation but we had no idea about that. We can imagine Aimpa like Earth, with billions of beings alive in the planet, living their own lives, but without connection into other planets. We were an evolving planet. We have no idea about the Parliament of the Confederation, Orion's portal, nothing. We were just harvesting our foods, we were just enjoying our culture, we were amphibious, We have no idea about fight. We had no tools to do anything. We were not in touch with other species outside the planet. But some of us in the government had this idea that we were part of this organization. And in our planet, we had this mineral and this material to be harvested. And that's why they came to AIMPA to take this energy, to take this, these minerals and That, that was one of the main things that made us know that something was wrong in the portals of the galaxy. Some of the Pleiadian people that were leading this project knew that this was the only way they could download in physical shape all the project to create a new reality. But the tools that they took in, in order to do so were dark ones because they were so disconnected from the being that they were not following the rules of Pleiadian people. They were just finding another way to create their own reality. Even if they were part of the Confederation, they would never say to the Confederation that they were just using the power of the portals to create their own universe. So... What they did was to create a conflict in Orion's portal so nobody would take care of the portal at that time. That created a main conflict that made a civil war in between the systems of Orion. The main conflict was created through the Pleiadian people because some of the Pleiadian people went to Orion to say to one of them that the other part of the system was trying to open the portal so the, no, the nine lords of darkness could get in. What we call the nine lords of darkness are the nine systems of the galaxy that creates and destroys realities. So we call them the nine lords because they are a very hard energy that we can uh, relate with personalities. So if the portal was open to these nine structures, all the system would be like hijacked by energies that were not supposed to lead the matter. 
this would be like an opening tunnel between the sixth dimension and the third dimension and would allow the low vibrational beings in the sixth dimension to transform and destroy everything around in the third dimension. In the other hand, other part of the Pleiadian people were trying to prevent this situation and they were the ones working with the confederation in order to protect every one of the worlds in, in process of evolution so this amount of energy from the sixth dimension wouldn't destroy this world. But all this was happening through the eyes of the fifth and the fourth dimension. So for us in the third dimension, this didn't even happen. For the universe, time is something different from what we expect. It's not something that has happened or is happening or will happen. It's depending on the vibration that says when it's happening. All the situations that happen in the high vibration of the fifth dimension are in the future. So what they are trying to do from the future is trying to correct and prevent that this would happen again in the cycles of time. And that is why we need to understand why these problems in between the species, the races, uh, started, because we have the same problems here. Every one of our countries, our races, are trying to fight for resources. And this is something that won't stay just in this planet. Someday we will reach Mars, and then Jupiter, and then Saturn, and then we will reach the energy of the whole system, and from there we will reach the whole galaxy. So we are the seeds of the future to try to prevent this problem. That's why every species from other dimensions are trying to see how we handle our problems within. Because when we solve our problems in this earth, it's like they solving their problems in the future. So these problems happen in the past, but in such a different level of vibration that for us is the future. And this story that that happened was the one that helped to all the confederations to decide we need to do something to create these greenhouses where we can prevent the seeds to be taken by the darkness. And that is why planets like Earth were chosen to keep all these seeds in the past. All the conflicts that we had in those species around the universe were the keys towards the creation of conscious civilizations in worlds like ours. Because they understood that the way to solve the problems through different times and different spaces was to put them all together. And that's why the world's agricultures, they took the information from all these species and put these vibrations in the DNA of these hominids in this planet. So we all within has the information of all these species. And in every day the, of our lives, we have to deal with all of them within. If we can solve all the problems of the Confederation in our daily lives, then 
that means for the fifth dimension that we can solve all the problems of the creation. The war of Orion is something that didn't happen, but it is happening. And it's also our past because it was because of that that we are here. So in different timelines, different spaces, what they were trying to do was to create new realities, was to create new ways of creating new universes. So all the species were trying to put their best in order to evolve. For some dark species, for some very physical species, to reach the energy so they could transform their own universe was the best way in which they could use the universe to help everyone to get united again. So for other beings, it was the light, the self-awareness. So they were trying to prepare every species in that path. So we are not trying to use the resources of the whole system in order to create a new universe. So destroying to create. And that is the main conflict that we have as the Orion's portal war. Because the portals between dimensions are the main structures that help to connect the source of all the knowledge and energies to create the realities towards our realities in which we are trapped for some of them. So in order to seek freedom, they are willing to destroy the matrix and to be free from the matrix. But what we forgot is that the matrix was created by us. So we have two ways to create our own universes. Through the war of Orion, trying to destroy the matrix to create the new one, or trying to understand this network that we have and to rule it from within and feeling that we are that network. Maybe the question you would ask is, why do we need all of these processes to reach the energy, all these species harvesting energy from every planet, we creating this civilization, humans in this planet? Why do we need all these processes through dimensions, through the confederation to to just reach the divine if every atom in the universe, doesn't matter the time and space where it is, it can reach the divine through the nine dimension? Well, the short answer would be evolution. And that is why in the fifth dimension, in the fourth dimension, they all, in every species and every race that exists in different planets, are looking into our process of evolution. Because what we do now can change the realities in the sixth dimension. So the beings that were trying to reach these dimensions, that were trying to build these civilizations, realized that they cannot go backwards, that they can only look for ways of evolution to seek how to find the self, how to find the doors to the ninth dimension, even if we all have within all the potential of the whole universe, all the energy of this big tree in just this seed. There is a big process for a tiny seed to become the biggest tree.
Hey, Rama, let's do that short uh, cry-on meditation, and then we can go to the other music. Oh, okay. Right? Isn't this a good time for that? Okay. I got a funny. Got to find that one, huh? Yeah. <sighs> well, well, that's going on. You're really close, huh? Just gonna say, everybody, we're doing it. That's the gist of all the messages, right, now. Yeah. Yes. 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 I'll just read a little bit of uh, the collective here, just to get a little flavor of what's go, what direction this is going in. So, um, from uh, today's message is an excerpt from the collective's new book, New Earth, New Earth Journeys. The collective speak on dealing with personal and global crises. What did you say, Ron? This, this book releases on Amazon on Tuesday, December 21st. That's this coming Tuesday. The Kindler version is now available for pre-order on Kindle. Uh, so that as, as with all the collector's books, each chapter begins with a question from a higher, uh, a light bringer sent in from people from all walks of life from all around the world. This excerpt is from chapter 11. Quote, On raising children in tumultuous times. Ha! Unquote. Question, approximately, how long will this incredibly challenging time last? Will my eight-year-old daughter live to see the new earth and a peaceful humanity? I ask because all the spiritual sources I follow, including you, are gradually making all of us aware of the hard times ahead. Uh, that's just the question. We'll see how the collective answers. This is really good. Okay, bring everything up on the table. And then in parentheses it says, and they get harder every time I read. End uh, of parentheses. And how brave we are to be to be born at this time yet they seldom mention how long we will endure this transition are we talking a hundred years or one generation or what the collective we will say did you find it Ron? Yeah. oh let's see well just give me one more minute we will say that for earth people when is the question is one of your most pressing questions. You have been trained to exist in third-dimensional linear timeline, in a third-dimensional linear timeline, so that the future feels to hold potential difficulty one moment and potential fulfillment the next. The present, your your only real point of cooperative power, is often ignored as you focus on what happened in the past or what might happen next. This is enough to create a roller coaster effect on anyone's emotions, particularly in this powerful time of trans- transition. 
It is indeed challenging to be on the earth now. Understandably, you desire that all children come to know a planet that is finally at peace, with all weapons rendered useless and humanity sovereign and free. Your information sources do not mention how long humanity must travel the rough road of this transition because they do not know exactly. Uh, what do you say, Rama, to that? Shall mm. uh, I read on? Mm. What, you want, to, you want me to stop there and, and go to this? Sure. Okay, we'll just stop there for the moment. It's all got to go on the table, though. Uh, go ahead, tell us what we got here. This is Tryon. Even the light, light workers will be blown away. The light workers, even the light workers will be blown away. Ten minutes, right? Yeah. Here we go. Greetings, dear ones. I am Cryon of Magnetic Service. And so it is again that there is an assemblage in the room that is greater than the sum of the parts. And this is a quantum state for in linearity you cannot sense even what might be taking place here. And so we ask you Look at the reality that you have as you sit in the chair or listening and temper it to include the possibilities of what we speak. I would like to give you a channeling that I have not given in any form except pieces before. I'd also like to make a statement that this particular channeling will be given again, one time. And not necessarily when my partner thinks it will. And it may be that I would like my partner to put both of them for listening or one. And I will tell him when it's time. And so it is the way of it that my partner has a learning curve as you do. And the learning curve is that which he needs as well as you. You get used to things that are not in the purview or the dynamics of your reality. And when you step away from your reality, things become difficult. Difficult to see, to describe, to label, to teach. And so it is, we go slowly and perhaps even repeat. To all of you who may be listening in any way right now, I say this, blessed is the human being who understands the learning process and is patient with themselves. Human beings 
tend to be impatient in so many ways and spiritually the most. They want everything now because they can feel intuitively that it is theirs to have. Do not be discouraged with the process when it does not achieve itself all at once. That is the first instruction. Oh my guides told me, you have to say the truth, always. I'm going to open a portal of the throat chakra of the world. Instruction of the day. I want to talk about the future. As Cryon, I speak to you with the potentials of what might be. But these particular potentials are manifesting themselves quicker than not. And so I give you these things in the light of what we see, the energies that are out there, and the things that are happening in the dark that you cannot yet see that we do. Not in a dark place, but in the dark meaning they are not yet public. We are seeing a future for you that is far different than perhaps even you would imagine is there. So let us start with the premise. We have discussed it before. It is an entirely different channeling, a different teaching. Humanity is new. The age of the universe, this universe, the one you are in, even your galaxy, is enormous compared to all of the numbers that you would consider as appropriate for life. Billions of years? Your galaxy has been here. Many revolutions, maybe even up to 16, and some of you will know what I mean, the stars around the center. When the galaxy was coalesced to the point where it is now and will stay for a long time. And during that time, life occurred all over the galaxy. And we have told you this before. There are civilizations that are millions of years old. The one that seeded you over a million. And you just started. The new kid on the block, you might say. Life tried five times to start itself on this planet and only the fifth time did it succeed. That's cellular life. It's only been literally in the last flash of time that human civilization has occurred in that which we would call a seeded state of enlightenment. That is to say that those from the stars came and did their work to start you on a path to change your DNA and here you are And it wasn't even 200,000 years ago. <laughs> And it took another 100,000 for that to be complete. And so here you are, brand new. And yet you have gone through five cycles already of what we would call conscious awareness. And this being the fifth one brought me to Earth. 21 years ago, I showed up and I said, things are changed. There's a shift going on and I want to tell you about it because the potential, dear one, 
you are going to move through this shift. And you have. You already have. There's no question that you have. Well, right now, even before that magic time of 21 December 2012, we see you have. And there is absolutely no doubt that you are passing this marker. And so we bring you the information of what might be next. And we try to dispel those things that we are hearing, even from those who are very enlightened. You move into a state of graduation. Some have called planetary ascension. What will it be like? Now, if you ask those who seated you, they went through the same thing. And so they can tell you what it's like. They can also tell you the process is longer than you want. But it begins and you start to see generationally the changes that are going to occur. And I'm going to list some of the attributes It will and will not potentially take place. A planet in ascension, passing the marker, becoming far more enlightened. What's it like? And you might say, well, you're turning a page of human nature. You're going to have a spiritual population. No, you're not. Wait a minute, Prime. It's a it's a message where you're going to ascension status. There's going to be knowledge of, of past lives, of of enlightenment. No, you're not. Not yet. If I had to title this particular message. It would be the recalibration of thought regarding the future. <laughs> a perception of practicality for you to absorb and understand because many of you are going to live this. And I don't want you to be disappointed. But I want you to see it when it starts to change. And I want you to understand what it means. Dear ones, there'll come a day. When Earth will be everything you think it will be. And it's going to take a while. And it should. For generations will pick up those things that the other generations will leave. And slowly the children of the children of the children will see clearer than you. And the irony of all of this is you are the children of the children of the children. <laughs> Because you're coming back. You wouldn't miss this. Old soul, listen. You've plotted through the old energy. And this is the marker that you always knew was the potential. And from here on out, it gets better. And thank God you're part of it. For it is the fruition of everything you've done. The very reason we're here. It is no wonder we wash your feet. Ponder these things, for they're the things you created. 
And so it is. Ah, oh, how Rama, huh? Mm. Okay, I guess it's music time, huh? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, let's see which one do we want to start with. There's a couple of plays, too, I can't decide, but I guess we should go with the music, right, Rama? Um, huh? Mm hmm. Okay, there's one that says Christmas under the stars. And there's a numbers of Amy Grant, Michael Smith, Jordan Smith, 20 years of Christmas. And I'm sure it's PBS, I think. So let's, well, let's try that. <laughs> you want to try that, Ralph? Okay. No, no, no. Um, to everybody, we're still moving through. Or shall I do the Crane Candlelight concert instead, Rama, first? Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes? Yeah. Yes? Okay. You don't know, do you? Ah. Candlelight. That was, that was, uh, where'd you go? That was Sarah Brightman, I think is what you're saying. Uh-huh. Um, Crane Candlelight Concert. Mm. The other one's two hours, so we got just, we got to just maybe pick one or one and a half. <laughs> kind of like that. Um, oh, here's one that's just an hour or two. All right, well, this one is the Tabernacle Choir with uh, Kelly O'Hara and Richard Thomas. That's, that's uh, from when? Mm-hmm. That's from last year. Mm. Yeah. I'm just saying what I see. Sorry, everybody. We're making some decisions. This one's a classic Christmas. Um... Oh, that's a whole different thing. Oh, dear, 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 dear. Just a moment, she told us a little more. <coughs> oh. Can you grab them really quickly? I think what we'll do is we'll have uh, Rainbird come and join us. Uh, it's a bewitching hour, but let's just remember that we have one, and that the, uh, the, the 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 grand finale, as our 
Ayurvedic astrology sister said that uh, uh, yes, we have one. And uh, what did we have today? We had the full moon again, right, Brahma? Yeah. In Gemini. Gemini. May the twins. May, may everything be on the table, huh? All right. So, rainbird. Angels, fairies, feathers, rainbows, crystals, emerald serpent feathered one. Quetzalcoatl is here. I know you know all about that one. And I'm going to add a few raven feathers. Ravens and... I got ravens and hummingbirds. Ravens and hummingbirds. Ravens and hummingbirds. Well, how about that one? Here it comes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, those ravens are there. They just don't stop talking to ravens in the crowd. They just are at it. Oh, by the way, I was just going to say, Rainbow, if you, uh, please forgive me. I wanted to tell everybody that this last hour was the Crane Candlelight Concert. And it was all Japanese background and setting. The whole, the whole artistry came from that, uh, you might say that Katumi realm because that's, uh, a Pleiadian, uh, uh that's the, uh, yeah, the Orient, it's, it's, it's Lord Katumi, it's, oh yeah, yeah. world teacher. Through music! <laughs> I love you, back to you, sister. <laughs> oh, I, I'm so excited and I just really love this play ride. That was the last piece I played, we play that. I used to play an orchestra and I've been missing it, so. It was, it was good, good to hear that, that little favorite there. Such a nice clip. <laughs> Yeah, and I, uh, Cryon was saying it's going to take a little bit, so enjoy the ru- the route on the way. Did we enjoy it this evening? Oh my God, we did. It was fun, fun, and it's, I just feel lit up because I just know it's happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. Yeah, so much, so much beauty in the world now. So much beauty, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we get to add to it every single second. Indeed. Indeed. The beauty way. There you go, the beauty way. That's right. Mm -hmm. You got to go get that song and play it again. That's right. Yeah. That's that's what Rockingbury taught us about the beauty way. Wow. Becoming a sacred human being. Rocking Bear, uh, talking to you lately, Rainbird. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, I'm here in the mall lately. I mean, here we are. <laughs> we are. We're in the Rocking Bear mode. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. So, thank you so much for today, yesterday, the next day. And I pass this talking stick over to you while I hear it go. Okay. So a quick little uh, message from who, Rama? And oh, this is um, Helen Watts. Awareness is reality. Okay, six minutes, and then we'll be uh, turning into the bewitched ones here. Oh. 
reality is what you're aware of. So that the, the real world that isn't a spiritual world, it isn't a material world, it isn't an empty world, it isn't a solid world, it's simply. There you have it. Now, see, if you're brought up as a philosopher, you say, what did you mean by that? I didn't mean anything by it, I meant that. Therefore, to get into meditation in the sense in which I'm talking about, really the elementary thing is to be on terms with, on knowing terms with, what it is. And that isn't going to be defined. It's only going to be felt. And you will discover in that feeling, in that experience, that most of your definitions of it don't hold. We shall see, for example, that past time and future time don't exist at all. And since the word present has meaning only in relation to the concepts of past and future, strictly speaking, there isn't present time either. When you try to pin the present down, you can't because it moves too fast. And yet it's always here. It doesn't ever go away. Crazy. That doesn't fit our logic. Also, in reality, when you're aware of reality, there isn't any difference between yourself and the rest of the universe. Well, in a way, there's a difference. Just as um, left differs from right. But they are the left and the right of one body. So the self and the other are the self and the other of one body. What Buddhists call the Dharmakaya. Kaya means body. Dharma means the energy function of the universe. Only self and other are more analogous not to, as it were, two ends of a stick, but rather to the center and the circumference of the circle. And those are the opposite poles of the circle. And they depend on each other. Just as opposite ends of a stick or opposite sides of a coin. So in reality, you might say, that is to say, in the non-conceptual, directly felt experience of life, you do not feel your difference from the universe. That is a conception which by hypnotic process becomes a feeling. But it isn't really there at all. So therefore, the first phase now is, it's also the last phase, <laughs> is to be sure that I can communicate what I mean in talking about direct awareness of the real world. 
And the, uh, the sonic method is one of the easiest for demonstrating this. Because it's so non-verbal. And because the energy of vibration is easily followed. And because it manifests in a very clear, sensuous form, what one is talking about in using such a phrase as the energy of the universe. According to various ancient Hindu texts, Shabda, which means sound, is the fundamental energy behind the world. As if the whole world were a system of sonic vibrations. Well, it would be sonic to the ear, but it would be light to the eye. Hardness to the touch, perfume to the nose. That jazz. And so the point is that in the meditation way, one listens to all that vibration in the same way that you listen to music, but listening to it not as a critic and technician, but naively. Hearing all that goes on as a process which is non-verbal in the deepest sense of the word, that it does not mean anything except itself. And you simply do nothing more than feel that. And you are not doing this feeling of it for a reason. But because the feeling of what is going on is the same thing as being alive. Only I should say more correctly, being alive there. Because life is death, life is death. They are relational. Namashivaya, huh, Rama? Mm. That was wonderful. Okay, we got to continue this and keep the vigil going on Sunday and Monday evenings. About 10 minutes of 7 Mountain, 10 minutes of 9 Eastern. And we will uh, join with Cheryl. Right, Rama? Uh-huh. She will be uh, traveling, but she will be uh, maybe doing a little bit of a short, shorter version, but it's time to celebrate the spirit and keep it going. It's 425-436-6260. And by the way, this last production, I think, was brought by Birdman. Our friend Birdman is all through that. I love that Japanese flavor of uh, being, bringing in the birds as the theme. That's right. And so it is. And the pin code here for this number is one nine four six seven four four one pound. And I will see you in your dreams. And let's go swim with the whales, huh, Rama? Mm. <laughs>
dolphins. Yeah. Uh, good dolphin cards to Christmas. And uh, it's uh, it's just a time to be alive and happy to be here, I think. That joy is in the air, is it not? Mm. Dot nam. Dot nam di. Ahomitakuyasen, everyone. Thirteen thank yous, honey in the heart. No need, no evil, live long and prosper. Namaste. Mahalo nui loa. Melakaliki maka. 